0: Good evening, wherever you are, and thank you for joining the Just Like the Movies podcast on our 35th episode spectacular where we're talking about one of the most hollowed, most esteemed, most universally loved movies of all time, and that would be the original Godfather, selected by the main man himself, Johnny. Johnny, uh, before tell everybody how you're doing, and uh, for one of our intrepid listeners, did you pick this? Did you know it was the 50th anniversary? Was that a happy coincidence?
1: that was a happy coincidence i i fell ass backwards into that one i guess but i i don't remember what triggered me to pick it i think it was i I believe it was because somehow marlon brando got worked into our last episode and i was like we gotta do the freaking godfather um so and then when i found out it was the 50th anniversary he was going back to theaters i was like oh my god that's perfect so Uh, For anyone who went back and or for the first time saw The Godfather in the theaters, I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope that makes you enjoy this uh, episode of the podcast more. Uh, Mike, real quick, I'm going to do our shameless plugs uh, for the top of the episode audience. Um, I just want to say thanks to everybody who's been listening to Just Like the Movies. I think we're at like episode 36 or so now. Mike usually knows that better, better. 35. Okay, there we are. And uh, it's it's been a a great deal of fun, and we just appreciate everyone who's been tuning in each episode. Or if there's you know some movies maybe you skip, that's okay. We're not going to take it personally. Uh, A little bit, a little bit. But uh, make sure you do subscribe to the show. It's free on your favorite podcast app. Um, I personally love Spotify, but you know Apple. Go down the line. We're we're there. And uh, if you don't mind, just telling a friend. If you have a friend who likes movies, especially the type of movies we go through, which is more of the yesteryear type of stuff. This one, this is our. The furthest uh, back we've gone so far, I believe, 1972. Um, But let them know and share it with a friend. And and, uh, we really appreciate that because that's really the main way podcasts grow. So uh, from Mike and myself, uh, thanks. So um, Mike, toss it back to you here. Uh, A question we always pitch to each other. uh, How was your rewatch? uh, And is The Godfather one of those movies that uh, you see more regularly than others or has it been a while where, where where are you at with that
0: um I hadn't watched The Godfather in quite some time but I had seen it so many times in my 20s and my teens and um but re-watching it I mean it was like it was like it was almost like um finding an old sweatshirt you forgot about and putting it on and it's like because it's so comfortable and familiar and I, I had all these memories about The Godfather. I don't think I ever sat down and watched it myself until I was in high school. And I was trying to remember if I had read the novel first or if I had seen the movie first. I think I had to have seen the movie first. But I read the novel in high school. and then I. But before that, I remember it always like, not always, but often being on television or kind of being on in the background. But when I was a kid, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. It was just one of those movies that didn't capture my attention when I was younger. That's fair. Yeah, but um, yeah, I was gonna ask you. Well, you already kind of said why you picked it, but uh, like I I have a little bit of nerves talking about this one because it's so like like I mentioned. I mean, some people will make the argument that this is the best movie of all time, not one of the best, the best. And
1: yeah, yeah, it's um. I mean, go on, but I'll I'll say like that's definitely a, a popular that's definitely a popular pick for sure. And, uh, it's a strong one, you know, it's hard to put like people like to do the, you know, pissing contests about favorite movies and stuff. And it's hard to, to go against the Godfather for sure. And rightfully so, uh, an incredible sequel in its own right, uh, which is hard to find in movies. So, um, it, I am a, like, you know, like we always say, you and I really don't talk about the movies we're doing before. Cause we like to organically hit the stuff, uh, when we're recording, but, the, one of the things I did say to you is that I'm unusually uh, nervous to do this one because it's just such a loaded movie. And uh, But here we are. We're going to get into it. So I don't even know exactly where to start. Um, I did some behind-the-scenes trivia and that, uh, looked that stuff up and, and looked into that. But um, I feel like there's the, the, the such a – I say the word loaded. It's just such a heavy and loaded – Uh, character juggernaut of a movie that uh, I feel like we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the movie itself uh, more than anything but there is definitely some cool trivia about this movie and stuff I did not know and that makes me so happy and another reason why I love doing this podcast with you especially is because not only do we maybe learn stuff about these movies from each other but just doing our own research I was like oh really I did not know that and like some really really cool stuff and I'll just get this one out of the way George Lucas has an uncredited role. He did the entire montage of the going to the mattresses with all the newspapers. Yeah. And he did it as a return of favor to Coppola who kind of helped him out with American Graffiti and he he cut that whole scene and said I don't want to be credited, which like that the level of, you know, self-assurance and self-security in, in who you are and your identity to say I don't want to be credited on this movie that everyone knows is going to be a big success is astonishing to me and kind of humbling and inspiring so i'll just leave that there you know i'm a big star wars fan big george lucas fan i did not know he did that sequence where they see all the newspapers and apparently those were all real photos of dead criminals Mm -hmm. uh so then i went and i found that scene again and just rewatched that scene on youtube i was like wow george lucas has contributed to The Godfather. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, there's another connection because part of the reason Francis Ford Coppola got involved with this movie is because his studio was in debt a couple hundred thousand dollars to Warner Brothers because of cost overruns on THX 1138. And uh, Coppola didn't want to do the movie because he thought it would be disparaging to Italian-Americans. And uh, he ended up changing his mind and we got this Completely, this iconic film out of it because the—I mean, the movie—the movie was basically came to be because Puzo, when he was coming up, he'd written a couple novels. Uh, I think he'd written like *Dark Arena* and *The Fortune of Pilgrim*. I don't know if *The Godfather* came after that, but he was in a—he uh, basically got—he sold the rights to this when he had a twenty-page outline of the book. He sold it to this guy named Peter Bard at Paramount. And he basically sold it for the cost of his gambling debts. It was about $10,000, $12,000, which he took oh, wow. because he was just desperate. So there. one of the things we're going to talk about a little later I definitely wanted to get into is just the whole blurring of reality and fiction with this movie. I mean, there's so much mob influence behind the camera and in front yeah. of it. And we'll, we'll get into a lot of that stuff later. Hopefully you guys will learn something uh Something quite uh, new and uh, entertaining, as far as all that goes. But uh, well, as it, everybody knows, Mike, you and I are mob experts. So. <laughs> I was actually kind of surprised all the crap I was remembering from, because <laughs> I like I think a lot of kids go through, like boys go through that. You get kind of like our age, at least. You were kind of fascinated with organized crime. Um, yeah, there,
1: there's a, there's a there's an attractiveness and like a, a like a a romanticism glossing over it especially when hollywood touch you know puts it touches it and uh it, it it is a a draw and like they also show like the allure of the characters in in that same way that we as fans get drawn into uh learning about it and wanting to know about it from a distance from a safe a safe safe distance but mike i'm a quarter sicilian are you is your family sicilian at all no my uh, not well sicilians are like I don't. Know. It's a weird
0: thing because Sicily's part of Italy, but sometimes people talk about it like it's a separate ethnic group or separate country or something. Uh, no, my family, my father's side of the family is all uh, Southern Italian from like the
1: Naples area. So oh, gotcha. um, okay. Half Italian and then half other stuff. Yeah. Mutts. Um. <laughs> so, w- what did you think about, like the the first? We don't have to go chronologically there, but one thing I, that really stood out to me in this movie, um, is how authentic it feels. And I know a lot of that had to do with Coppola's shooting style, uh, the wedding at the beginning uh, between uh, Connie's wedding. Uh, it I'm, uh, like Before I found out the trivia and stuff, I watched it first because I didn't want the trivia about the movie to influence how I viewed it. So I usually watch first, then look into the facts. So watching it, I was like, wow, this feels like a, they're just shooting. I had a real old Italian wedding. And it turns out he, I guess, wanted it to be that way. So... He essentially just told the people there to just have casual conversations, and he would do vignettes with that stuff going on mm-hmm. in the background, and it worked. Like I felt like I was at that wedding in a weird way. Like I felt like I was sitting at the table across from Michael and Kay as he's talking to her, and I, I felt like I was there as they were, you know, doing the the ceremonious dances and you know all the all the uh, the normal things that you see at a wedding, but obviously blown up to this big gigantic backyard mafia Italian wedding. Um, with interesting choices of tuxedos and dresses, I might add. But I, I, that was, that was one of the first big standouts to me. Obviously, you have Don Corleone in his office doing the, I guess, what is a traditional thing where you, you, uh, you can't deny people's requests on, on your daughter's wedding. Is that, a, is that a tradition?
0: I, I, that's the mythos. Yeah. I don't, I don't know for sure, but, um, that's the, I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, you, you don't have to.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Good.
0: Uh, I, I don't think, um, yeah, that like, was get the when, hell out of here. When uh, well, Robert Evans was involved with this Evans baby, but uh, <laughs> he uh, he said, and this I mean, this isn't the most sensitive thing in the world to say, but he you know Warner Brothers as a studio was kind of at a crossroads. They'd had a lot of movies not do well, and they were in kind of financial financial strain. And one of them was this movie called The Brotherhood with Kirk Douglas, and so when, uh, this novel was very hot, it was, you know, it was on the bestsellers, uh, list, New York times bestsellers list for God knows how many weeks. And they had optioned it years before. And when Evans got involved, he said he wanted to smell the spaghetti on the, he, he wanted an authentic Italian experience. Oh, really? So that's why wow. he really wanted Coppola involved and, uh, Funnily enough, a lot of the cast wasn't Italian, but I don't think that really mattered because they all did such great jobs in their respective roles. Uh, I know uh, Jimmy Kahn was a little upset. There, there, I go again. Jimmy Kahn, another close personal friend. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, a lot of his part got cut out because there were so many different cuts of this movie. Like the cut that uh, Coppola submitted was only two hours and six minutes long. And oh, his original cut, yeah. And Robert Evans wanted more scenes about the family. He wanted the family theme in there. And a lot of the ideas, some of the, some of the more iconic, not, not, I wouldn't say iconic, but some of the, some of the things you, like the cannoli and the, the guys eating uh, Chinese food out of takeout containers and like Clemenza cooking sauce for everybody. Like that was all stuff that uh, Coppola contributed to the script that he wrote with uh, Mario Puzo, the author of the novel, of course, um, Right, which he he insisted that this be called Mario Puzo's The Godfather because you know we always you you and well both of us but you a little more talk about the strength of writing and it really starts with that novel because the novel if you haven't read it uh, I know some of our listeners have I know you have not but the novel is so 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 good like it is it's incredible I read it when I was a freshman in high school and I still remember all these crazy details about it like there was enough there was enough story in. The original novel for the first movie half of the second movie and then there were a bunch of subplots that they didn't use in the Godfather like if you ever wanted to know what happened to the chick that Sonny was banging in the beginning of the movie like they tell you what happens to her and they they get into the whole thing where there's there's little details you you might miss that um, that become a lot more obvious if you haven't read the book like there is uh, this like the scene at the wedding you were talking about they're bouncing around different tables and yeah. I think the I think her name's Sandra, that's Sonny's wife. She's she's like doing this with her hands, like going bigger and bigger. She's talking <laughs> about and she's talking about his dick. And they talk about yeah. this in the book, and the reason that he liked banging that girl so much, Lucy Mancini, who was, I think, Connie's maid of honor, so she was like a close friend, was because she had some kind of genetic defect where like her she, like, broke her pelvis when she was a kid or something. So, like, her... I don't remember exactly how it happened, but her vagina was, like, super deep. <laughs> so, <that's... laughs> so, like, if you never understood why his wife was doing the thing where she was like, oh, it gets bigger and bigger. And she's like,
1: oh... Like, she was talking about her husband's cock. So... Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. Good Good for James Cock. Con. Sorry. Jimmy um, Cock. Jimmy Cock. Jimmy Cock. Um, so... I just looked up that guy, Robert Evans. I, su- it, I assume no affiliation to the diner, um, the, ch- the chain diner, Bob Evans, <laughs> uh, which I know you you, you enjoy. Uh, you guys like not, that place too. If not, if not, my brother hates it, uh, but I think he does it as a bit. I think it was more of uh, he was just miserable <laughs> and hungover. But anyway, um, Robert Evans, for some reason, I just looked him up. I guess how many times this dude tried marriage? I'm going to guess seven. You're exactly correct. <laughs> that's like one you of those. Nu-
0: that's like one of those numbers that it's like, yeah, that's an absurd number, but by Hollywood standards, I guess it isn't. It's not like, it's not like I said, forty-eight.
1: Well, you know you're Bobby Evans. What can I tell you? He, uh, um, I, I yeah. do
0: remember he had that awful cartoon that he was in on on Comedy Central called Kid Notorious, and Slash was in it. I think it only went like eight episodes or something, but yeah. Like, and then there was this one author who used to write the. He was a he was a sports blogger. He used to write for Deadspin, and he would uh he did this funny bit where he would talk as Robert Evans in character, and it was like it was really funny. But um, wow, um, but he was he was a major creative force behind this movie. I mean, he had a lot of uh, he he influenced a lot of uh, the positive attributes of it. He he was a big driving force in it getting made. Uh, also, there was a producer named Albert Ruddy who was involved, and they're actually making a show about him on Paramount. I think it's pre- I think it's premiering in a couple months. I've seen some teasers for it on YouTube, and it's called The Offer, and it's all about his involvement in getting this movie made because there was so
1: many complications
0: during the production of it.
1: That's that's pretty cool because you know they always say like a movie can be completely changed in the editing room and. The fact that you're saying you know the first cut was almost an hour less than the final cut is kind of mind-blowing to me but i'm glad it it was longer because you know like i said at the top there's just so many characters in this movie that sometimes it's one it's hard to keep track of all the names because it's like you know insert italian name here um but it's i can't imagine them trying to tell this whole story including michael's hiatus or whatever you want to call it is uh laying low in italy um and and try to do that in two hours uh seems impossible to me um and really you know that's the only if you need a bathroom break in the godfather you go to the bathroom uh during apollonia and michael's wedding that's the scene (laughs) there you don't need to be there for that we already went through one wedding in the in the movie we don't need to see that ceremony at all um so that's my advice if people need to go to the bathroom while watching the godfather if you're in some situation where it's in a theater or you can't pause it obviously um but uh marlon brando was i know the top choice there were other high profile people who wanted uh the role i know um orson wells was very interested and even wanted to go through like a diet program i guess to get the role but they had already said uh, i think puzo was the one pushing for marlon brando i guess he was a fan of his um and uh, I, you know, this is very cliche And we've said it sometimes, I know I'm guilty of it But really have a hard time Picturing anyone else playing Vito Corleone uh, in that Way, obviously we have De Niro playing the Younger version, but I'm saying in that time In the 1940s, Don Corleone, that Vito Corleone, uh, Marlon Brando Is the guy, and I'm not even the biggest you know Marlon Brando fan, I, I pointed Out uh, on our last episode about how Chris Reeve Hated working with him at the time At the point in his career, but um, amazing actor. So, and the way they transformed his look with subtleties, the mouthpiece and and things things like that, um I just thought uh it's I really love all the performances in the movie. His has to be my favorite. Um obviously he won the Oscar for it and that whole uh controversy, but um Al Pacino also really good cuz this is like still Al Pacino really you know like you brought up not getting into the parody version of al pacino <laughs> so yeah i mean this, this was, was his, like this was his good first, al pacino
0: this was his first big movie like he was in yeah. i think he was in panic and needle park and then then he got into this he was supposed to be in bang the Drum slowly uh he actually he actually committed to that part but they really wanted him for this uh robert evans didn't because he derisively referred to him as the midget he wanted like robert redford or ryan o'neill I was actually pretty interested to see that Warren Beatty, <clears throat> Jack Nicholson, and Dustin Hoffman all turned down the Michael Corleone part. And Jack Nicholson said in an interview in the early 80s that he did it because he thought he thought that an Italian needed to play the part. And I don't know if this is true or not, but supposedly Al Pacino's family is from Corleone, Sicily.
1: Which Yeah, his parents emigrated from there. That's insane. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, insane. he was born here. He doesn't – He well, at least at the time of filming, he didn't speak any Italian or Sicilian, if you want to be specific about it. Um, even so much so that they had to change a couple of scenes around when they were in Italy and have Michael speak English and have someone translate it for him. But Yeah, when he's uh, um,
0: talking to his future father-in-law, Vitelli. Yeah,
1: like trying to like – you know, to make his case that he's a good guy and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, I mean you – know, like, the honorable
0: the, thing. And as far as – uh. You know, the godfather himself goes. Laurence Olivier turned the part down, which probably for the best, but he said he didn't want to do it because of his health or something. And then he did this movie called Sleuth. And then they were talking about maybe
1: having Ernest Borgnine play him. (laughs) It's like you name any old actor, and they were like (laughs) in line to play. Uh, Vito Corleone I guess but, Well I mean can you imagine uh,
0: if Ted Denslow Was the godfather <laughs> Just
1: choking on a hot dog Not an
0: orange peel <laughs> His hairpiece was 24
1: uh, Yeah and you know another thing I thought I was going to be like so clever And so like deep I was like I was started getting into like the thoughts about uh, All the oranges showing up in the movie and stuff And I was like well it shows up here It shows up there he, You know, Cor- Vito gets shot and the oranges spill out into the street He dies with an orange peel in his mouth what's you know what's the symbolism uh what's going on here with that and apparently it wasn't much of anything other than to make help the uh the sort of tepid colored tones uh a contrast to that in a lot of the scenes um that's what they say i mean there are a lot of oranges popping up in this movie even when vito gets home uh, and fredo comes to see him he sits down there's a bag of oranges there uh, they insisted that it wasn't anything. Uh, did you did you gather that as well?
0: Uh, I've always heard that it was like oranges were like a like an omen of somebody's death coming. I don't know if they yeah. wanted to downplay that or if that's just something that kind of evolved over the years, kind of like an urban legend, or if it's like maybe
1: it, maybe it created itself. Like, yeah, because the once the
0: you know once people start, I I think I've said this at least once before, but I remember hearing in a class when I was in college, and it's always stuck with me is that. Once you make art, you put it out in the world, it's not really yours anymore. So people can say the craziest things about it, about what it represents, or or what oh, the yeah. symbolism means. And, I mean, most people aren't going to go for it, but there might be some people who do. And uh, so I don't know if that's something with the oranges or, or whatever, but I, that's what I always thought. I always thought the orange, it was always when something was about to go down. Like, the, but... Um,
1: yeah, it's, oh. it's funny that you say that, because I bet directors love when that sort of thing happens when it's something like a smart theory. They're like, did you intend on blank? And they're like, oh, yeah, totally. It was totally on purpose. <laughs> I, no fucking idea. <laughs> I, I just can't believe that a movie like
0: this was shot depending on... See, this is what's so much fun about doing older movies, which you don't have a lot of experience doing, is like now everything's so... It's like we know everything. We know to the day what the shooting schedules are, to the dollar. Well, depending on the Hollywood accounting, but we have these. We have there's you know a whole website that tells you like for this movie for that tells you the budgets of movies and the gross and the gross receipts and all that stuff. For this movie, it was they weren't even sure how much money it made. Like said, the estimates I saw were between two hundred fifty and two hundred ninety one million dollars, and the budget was between six and seven point two million
1: which is that's outrageous
0: yeah and and the movie was shot over a 60 I've seen 62 days and I've seen 77 days so you got to think in about 10 weeks 10 11 weeks for seven million dollars that's in you know that's the 1970 early 1970s money but still they made this movie that was that made about 40 times that
1: it's crazy man and uh, I read that in, in a couple of places so I'm assuming this is true uh we're just gonna say it's true now so go (laughs) go tell your friends this little factoid Sonny's death scene cost a hundred thousand dollars to film
0: yeah yeah
1: that's fucking crazy man and And, and, uh so that so that's supposed to be the jones beach causeway which was not far from from where i grew up um maybe i don't know 15 20 minutes something like that uh but they did it at a at mitchell airfield on like an empty runway they set up the tolls um there but that's a pretty like some of the scenes, I wouldn't say there's really gruesome scenes in the Godfather, but I think the Sonny's death, it's just, it was so violent and so aggressive in how they killed him that I have to say, I I mean, unless I'm not thinking of another gory scene or whatever, obviously they, you know, the the horse's head in the bed, that was a real horse, horse's head. Mm -hmm. Um, but his, his, him getting shot so many times and, and then he's on the ground, they, they keep shooting him. They're just like, just like putting holes in him. like That was a fucking gruesome scene. That, that, that was like like Sopranos-esque, before, obviously before the Sopranos time. But most of the other deaths and stuff are a bit more subtle. Um, it, 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 I'm saying for, for shooting deaths, like Mo Green through the glasses, it looks a little cheesy. Um, and, and then the, the, the blood comes pouring out, the blood looks horrible in The Godfather. My only criticism about The Godfather is how bad the blood looks. But uh, Sonny's death, man, that is a brutal death. Oh. Yeah,
0: and it's like, it was when they they set him up with, they put like, I don't know what the actual number is, it was over 100. It was between 100 and 140 squibs, and the special effects guy told James Codd that, whoa, I've never put this many on a person before, and he goes, you did not have to tell me that. <laughs> and he, you know I could just imagine telling a guy like that like him that and like his reaction because that guy had a reputation even then like there was supposed like he supposedly had a beef with uh Johnny Russo who played Carlo Rizzi and supposedly during the fight scene he broke two of his ribs and chipped his elbow like and it, and the funny thing is that fake fighting didn't even look that good you know but apparently he was uh roughing him up a little bit. And uh, I mean, I'm a little the, off track about what you were talking about, but yeah, that I always well, thought. The, hold the, on, did,
1: did you see the the missed punch though?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the that, missed punch. The okay, minute.
1: that's such a big miss, and <sighs> it, it, it's it's not supposed to be a miss because Carlo, WWF style, sells it. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I was like, "Oh my god, he does a this whole heavy right swinging stone cold Steve Austin hook and he's about 8 inches away from his face. He completely <laughs> missed it and how they shot it. I think usually they try to do it where they're directly behind the person so you, you can't see the separation. What a
0: whiff. I mean, what that, a whiff. Yeah, that the, oh. I, mean, I can imagine that that was an oversight because that's that scene was such a pain in the ass to film I and mean, like you wouldn't think that, but they they said it took like four days, and there were seven hundred extras involved, and
1: the hydrant going off. There's a lot going on in that. I mean, that's
0: that's a lot to just to put a uh, monster Godfather one garbage can involved beating, monster beating on on screen. Um, yeah, I yeah, like that. Uh, I read somewhere that James Caan actually improved hitting him with the garbage can lid. There's a lot, a lot <laughs> of c- cool improvisations in the movie. We'll we'll get to them as they come. We won't uh, just be like, oh, and then they did this. Sonny
1: has some of the best moments and I think maybe as a as a younger guy, I wouldn't say now at my age, you know, we're in our uh or for argument's sake coming on forty. Uh you are forty, and I'm gonna blow your spot up. Um a fresh forty though. What a good you're a good looking forty. Oh, so stop. let's just Yeah. Um, our audience has no idea what you look like. So <laughs> other than it's probably other, better. Other than now. other than a uh, a more charismatic, funnier uh, deeper voiced Frank Zappa, um, but uh, no James. I feel like like as a teenager watching the Godfather, like you were saying, like it's 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 one of those things like machismo thing, and 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 young guys love Scarface and the Godfather and all that stuff, especially rappers on MTV Cribs, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah. Sonny, like, Sonny is the one, I think, as a younger guy watching that movie, everyone's like, I want to be Sonny because he's badass and he just beats everybody up and nobody says takes he doesn't take crap from anybody and blah, blah, blah. But really, like, as a more mature person now, like, man, he's like a jackass. And it's just like, I love the character, but he just causes his own problems and obviously his own demise. But with that aside, he does have some really cool scenes frank sinatra style like taking the camera smashing it on the ground and just throwing money at the guy and uh you know just um t- you know taking what's his name and uh and shoving him up against the wall when he said i heard your father's dead and uh beat you know beating up carlo and, and and everything and you know telling you know this person to shut up that person to shut up you know all this that and the other Uh, But then then at the end of the day, though, you see the power of Vito as the father over him. He basically hits him on the nose with like a like a dog with a newspaper when he speaks at a a turn uh, when they're meeting um, with um, Salazzo. uh, Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So uh, I found that to be be pretty interesting but Sunny Day he's some of the best scenes in the, in the movie in my yeah I,
0: I didn't mean to undercut you I know you said you had a hard time remembering all the names so I'll, I'll help you out wherever I can because this no I, please
1: do please do it's uh, sometimes you know some of them I, I recall and I do have I, I pulled up the cast again so it should help me out a little bit here. I, I'm really looking forward to
0: like in 20 minutes when I when I botch when I biff on one of these names like after I just put, <laughs> put myself over like that but I J- James Kahn supposedly um, was inspired by Don Rickles and he hung out with a lot of um, he started hanging out with like mobsters like he hung out with this one guy named Carmine Persico who was a soldier for one of the five families I can't remember which one that's where he got the the line the uh, bada bing you gotta blow his brains all over your nice Ivy League suit and then you know bada bing has become this almost a, it's own institution like you know being used in, in mob movies and then that's the, of course the name of the titty bar from the Sopranos and uh <laughs> yeah. I'll be so, down at the bing <laughs> He disrespected the Bing. Um, but... Stock
1: up. Go to the, go to the store and get some gabagool. I'll be down at the Bing.
0: <laughs> the I mean that's like that's one example of, well, like when this movie was in production, one of the jobs that like you, I don't mean there's no no spoilers because I haven't seen it yet, but I know what the the general plot is. But this the show, The Offer, where Miles Teller. Who I I don't know how that guy gets work because e- I every time I see him on screen I just want to punch him in the face like he just has one of those faces that you just want to punch it like I,
1: well it, he's gonna be playing Goose's son in Top Gun 2 oh boo
0: like ah uh, he's he's there's nothing wrong with him as an actor except he just like I just want to punch him in the face all the time and I I can't imagine I'm alone in
1: that um I don't have a, I don't know that I've seen enough of him to feel that way. But there are certain actors I look at and I want to punch them in the face for sure. Right, like well, Jesse Eisenberg, I'd love to punch that guy in the oh face. Oh god, yeah. If,
0: um, now what was I going to say? I got off track. I was talking about The Offer. Like I think a big part of that is going to be the fact that the Albert Ruddy. There were a lot of threats and um, interference from the real life mafia. There was a, you know, there's the the five families of New York one of them is the Colombo family Joseph Colombo who was the head of that family founded this this uh, group called the Italian American Civil Rights League and they were trying to get the production of this shut down they were threatening him and set, like like threatening like they were like making threatening calls they like shot up his car and part of his job was he had to have a sit down with Joseph Colombo and figure out how to make it so he's like we want to get the movie made and not get killed and I know that sounds like a crazy thing to talk about. And really, one of the, the major concessions they made was you never hear the word Cosa Nost- La Cosa Nostra or Mafia in the film. And that was, I think, just doing that actually alleviated a lot of that tension from that side
1: of things. Um, well, didn't James Khan I don't know if this is true. I, you know, this is all hard stuff to prove. And maybe you can even call it hearsay. But I thought I heard or saw James Kahn like... Hung out with some questionable characters in preparation for this. Yeah, that's what um, I was I, saying. That that Carmine Persico okay. guy was one of them. And okay, that so was, I, I, yeah, all right. That was. I'm one not of sure them. how close he got
0: to those people. Yeah, in he, terms of like, uh, There was actually a rumor that one of the actors, and he's probably the most likely culprit. One of the act, one of the principal actors, got so into the research that he went along on like a. They were like going to bust up a picket line or something. He went with and and he was like he was there with them. But somehow the studio managed to keep all that quiet. But it, I mean, this is this is the kind of movie that like if you people talk about its authenticity and all that stuff, and it's because the mob was heavily involved and, and the the studio was so mad about it that the producer like Albert Ruddy got fired. But then Robert Evans convinced them that it was for the best that it was to get the movie done and to make it, like to make it the best like as. Accessible to audiences as possible, so they ended up hiring him back. Two of the what? actors involved were hired because of their. Actually, three of them were mobbed up. Uh, oh, really? So, bear with me here. Johnny Russo. Um, he he basically had a mob. He was a mob soldier for this for this uh, mob boss on the West Coast named Johnny Camino, which would be a great mob name for you, by the way. Old old Johnny <laughs> Chimneys. Uh <laughs> I thought I had to look that one up cuz I thought camino cuz Spanish and Italian are pretty similar. I thought camino meant road, but in Italian it means chimney. In Spanish. Right. So you'd be old Johnny Chimney. But uh All he right. he was a soldier for him and he actually threatened the studio to get him the part. And and Al Martino, oh, wow. who played Johnny Fontaine, um he, he 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 was the godson of Russell Buffalino. Who was the boss of the Philip of the Philadelphia crime family? He was played by Joe Pesci in The Irishman. If anybody saw that, yeah. And so, I mean, so you have a real life Godfather situation with him getting in the movie, and apparently, he was so bad as an actor that he couldn't emote. So a lot of they had to rewrite a ton of his scenes, and they always shot him from the back. And like one of the big improvisations was Marlon Brando, probably out of frustration and probably because he thought. Maybe it'd be better for the seat. He actually, he, he, he slapped him and that wasn't supposed to happen. He slapped. Him. He's like, you're oh, act like right. a man. What's yes. the matter with you? Yeah. And, yeah. um, also Lenny Montana, the guy who played Luca Brasi, he was a, he was an old, he worked, I don't remember which particular family he worked for, but he talked about being a, bo- a bodyguard and an arsonist. So these are all guys mm. with real life mob connections who were in the principal cast so,
1: that's pretty, that's pretty, that's cool. I mean, that's uh, a little authentic, authenticity. Oh, yeah, this yeah thing one
0: last thing. So the guy who played Clemenza, maybe not the last thing, but I just remembered this too. Uh, Richard Castellano, his uncle would visit him on set. And his uncle was Paul Castellano, who later became the acting boss of the Gambino crime family. He was the one that John Gotti shot outside of the Sparks Steakhouse. In the in the oh, wow. 80s when he took over the family he killed him to take over
1: well and i I read that Castellano didn't want to come back for the sequel for varying reasons um, so they created a new character for Godfather part two yeah that was uh, uh, so,
0: Frankie five angels you can actually see a little glimpse of him at the wedding reception if you if you look hard ah uh,
1: okay yeah um I, I wonder sometimes how far you know in a joking way actors take like getting into their character deal. it's like Yeah, James Caan murdered five people in preparation to play Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. (laughs) James Caan
0: beat up all of his girlfriends during the production of this film to get in character for it.
1: (laughs) James Caan had sex with bridesmaids at random weddings (laughs) throughout the tri-state area in preparation for his scenes as the long-donged Sonny Corleone. You know what I'm talking about, Mike. You know what I'm talking about.
0: Oh, all right. So... (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean I knew it was going to happen I just didn't know where it's like
1: I mean you set yourself up before when you're doing this talking about the sizing scene I'm talking so really. about a scene in
0: the movie man I'm not drawing hey, any parallels
1: look, life imitates art and and the other way around all right not not drawing um, any parallels the santino sausage <laughs> sausage <You know. laughs> I'll be down in a minute
0: <laughs> Yeah what <laughs> The, there was actually a, a and then a inter- tom
1: chuckles like it's such a bro code yeah he's just like that's our sonny well he had
0: a mistress too that was one just of the lines, lines from, they all uh, did right yeah i mean mm-hmm. they, they yeah they you know you have one of those um everybody knows but nobody says anything i think that was actually a, was that a line later in the movie or was that in godfather 2 where michael tells him he's like you could take your wife your kids and your mistress and go to las vegas and he's like why do you hurt me mike
1: yeah yeah right um, right
0: right yeah johnny russo actually like marlon brando like kind of pulled rank a lot on the set of this thing like he you know he was the big actor he was the big name and um he would complain about some of the amateurs he was working with like he complained about al bartino so they would like scale down his part and like because he couldn't emote on screen he was like a nightclub singer um that you know had mob and connections.
1: he so Fontaine is pretty much loosely based on Frank Sinatra, as far as I understand. Well, that's that.
0: that's what they say, but you know, some people deny it. Some people say it's true. I mean, there's there's a bunch of real life analogs, but we're like just to finish this point real quick. Uh, Johnny Russo had a moment where Marlon Brando was kind of bad mouthing him on set, and he said something to him like, "If you keep if you keep messing with me and try to get try to get take this part for me," he said, "I'm gonna." He said something like. It was something crazy, like I'm gonna I'm gonna knock I'm gonna I'm gonna knock open your chest and I'm gonna suck on your heart or something like that. And then, Jesus. But Marlon Brando thought he was acting. I mean, it was like that's totally like a Tropic Thunder moment. Like he, it was real. <laughs> like this this goomba was like threatening him, and he, he thought it was great acting. So then he backed off of him after that. I, wow. Yeah, I, I mean, you probably know this too. Your boy Howard Stern, he had a thing where. Any member of like without invitation, any member of the Godfather cast could come into a studio anytime he wanted. And one of the, I think the only person who actually obliged him was Johnny Russo. He just like yeah, wandered yeah. in one day and gave this interview, and just talked all about being in the Godfather. I don't remember what the substance of it was, but I just and thought that was kind of cool.
1: For for our audience, just for the sake of trying to keep up here, because we, we're going to be throwing these actors' names out there, and, and I stumble over them uh, a lot of times. Let's be honest. So. Uh, Gianni Russo plays Carlo Rizzi who is Connie's husband who Sonny beats up and he ends up you know uh, betraying the family and then uh, he gets his own later uh, and ending with uh, a shoe going through a windshield um, as he's being choked out but yeah Gianni Russo uh, plays Carlo so we may have to like let the audience know that as we're going through some of these names with some of these stories because even I like I said I'll get I need to have the ca- I have the cast up right now and to to, to to keep up here, but um, that stuff's crazy, man. But I I like I like it because it just makes the experience feel like they you know they made sure they got it right and the vibe and 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 everything. Like you said, smell the pasta or smell smell, smell the spaghetti or smell the sauce, whatever. Um, it that's <laughs> it's uh, that's like cool to it's me. like that's so I racist, but sure. nobody,
0: like nobody cares. It's just like okay, well, you know, it's not the we're past
1: yeah 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 right so um but in terms of uh like one i think one of my favorite scenes is at the very beginning of the movie uh at the wedding and it's you know essentially michael's first scene with Kay, and you're not really sure what michael's deal is because you know he's you know clean cut he's got his military uniform on you feel like he's just not really a part of That side of the family in terms of What they do and he really isn't But he's is Fully aware of what happens and uh, I was I remember the first time watching it Being so surprised at how candid he was With Kay about his father's doings, Luca Brasi and saying like And and you're trying to woo this girl who seems Innocent enough in her own right She's not some kind of mole or anything like that She's just a good girl who likes this guy And I don't know if that you start the 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 wooing or relationship with that story where you're like, yeah, my dad said either your brains or the signature are going to be on this contract. Um, yeah, and for some reason Michael uh, felt compelled, and I don't know if that is there the storyteller's way of letting us know that he is very comfortable with Kay and feels secure with her and that's a good way to push that relationship forward without doing too much um that's possible or it's just a matter of <clears throat> michael being excuse me michael being just um candid about that's that sort of stuff i, I mean i i th- didn't you find that odd though like I, from a character perspective i
0: did but when you the more you see michael on screen the more you realize that th- there's this kind of stereotypical trait about kind of men with leadership qualities that they're extremely decisive and they just, they make a decision and they just, it's like, this is how things are going to be. And yeah. so if you read into it, it's like, maybe that's just him, you know, and he kind of does it when he comes back from his exile in Sicily. It's like, he married another woman and she died. And like, I don't even know if he, like, he probably never even told her about any of that. I don't know if they establish right. in the later movies that he did or not, but he comes back, tells her he's been back for a year and then is just like I want to like I want to start a family with you. But I want to like, and it's like, and she just does it because it's it, it, like it, she doesn't ask any further questions. It's just he's so well, confident and he's so sure of himself. What yeah, de- th-
1: so that I'm torn with Michael because I really liked Michael before he left. Um, so essentially before he killed solazzo and the cop, um, I just liked his indifference to how his brothers were and uh and that sort of thing and he just kind of was more of an observer than a talker. Um he had this stoic calm presence to him that was prob maybe more like his father than the other two even though the other two were more wanting to be a part of daddy's business. Um but then like when he comes back, he's a completely different person. He's more jaded um and he's fully sort of pulled into all of this, especially once his dad gets shot up and that's that was the, the turning point because he still kind of went back to his ways. Him and Kay go to, to a, you know Radio City and stuff like that, and he, he's still doing the boyfriend thing. But then once his dad dies, he just gets like vacuumed right into the chair uh, because you know Sunny just uh, just burning everything in his sight, uh, too rageful. And then you have Fredo who is has taken on its own name as an insult for 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 for, for I don't know if you saw that whole thing with uh, Cuomo. Um, the, the host from CNN who got into his own trouble, and as did his brother, who was the governor of New York recently. But uh, some guy at a bar called C- Chris Cuomo Fredo, and he got in the guy's face and he got really pissed off. So don't – if you see a, an Italian guy who can kick your ass out somewhere, don't call him Fredo. Just a little advice for people out there. I have not done it. I'm saying I, some guy did it to Chris Cuomo. But anyway, Michael, like he – Al Pacino Like I didn't realize this Until I did this sort of Analytical rewatch What we do for the movie In a sense His whole body language And his level of eye contact Completely changes When he comes back From Italy Than before Like he used to look down a lot As he would talk And like when he's talking to Kay And telling that story About his father He's looking down a lot At the table And then you know He says that That uh, that amazing line That's so subtle But I really love it He said That's a true story <laughs> that, That's my family Kay That's not me Uh I love that. Uh, I don't know why. That's one of my favorite parts in the whole movie, and Al Pacino does such a good job. But then, like later in the movie, his stares at people, like, will burn a hole through you. And I don't think a lot of people can can pull that sort of look off. But the best example is when they're in Vegas and Fredo is just completely clowning it up, and then like you know s- sucking off Mo Green and and <laughs> that. My, f- my favorite line in the entire movie might be my, one of my favorite lines in any movie is, Fredo, you're my older brother and I love you, but don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. <laughs> ever. And he does it a- after inhaling. He does that with smoke in his lungs. He, he does a, an, um, a nose inhale of his cigarette and he's just staring up. We don't see Fredo, but he's looking past the camera. He does not blink. It's very like Hannibal Lecter. He does not blink does not do anything he and like you said very decisive very assertive and you know this guy means what he's saying and it's a, it's just like it's like two different characters it's like and it's funny because when he goes to Italy after he kills those guys it's the exact half part of the movie I checked so it's like you get this version of Michael and then you get the other version of Michael and it's in how he carries his body language and his looks and everything completely different and uh incredible incredible performance
0: yeah, I mean that's one of the one of the reasons that the performance is so celebrated. I think is just the fact that the evolution of Michael Corleone. I mean, throughout the series, but especially in this movie, he goes from he, like even his voice kind of changes. Like when he's talking, like it seems like he's talking a little higher pitched and a little faster. Like he's trying to like, but then like as the movie goes on, it's he he becomes more settled in and he kind of just talks at his pace and says what he wants and like you said, the eye contact, his body language changes. Like I read I I didn't notice this, but I I did read this, that you start to notice that it's like he starts to stoop his shoulders because it's almost like he's starting to feel all the pressure on him to do all these things.
1: Oh, interesting. That's
0: cool. um... Yeah, I mean, like his his evolution as a character from being this... You know, it's one of those things where you, you said him killing Salazzo and McCluskey... It's one of the things I thought that was interesting was how people talk about. It's like, well, that was like a huge turning point for him. It, I mean, it was in terms of him committing to his father. But I would say that yeah. the hospital bed scene was more important, where he—that's where he declares loyalty, and his father's crying, and supposedly those were real tears from Marlon Brando, which adds to the scene. But um you know, Michael just. But the thing that people overlook is like the guy was a war hero in World War II. Like he that has to involve killing people, right? Like how <laughs> this isn't it you know I don't know why for some reason when people talk about that scene it's like this big it's like I'm sure that he killed people in war before. It's hard to be a war hero without killing people.
1: Generally That's a great speaking. point because yeah that one cop does say he's a war hero. Yeah. So and, and so it's not only it's not only that he is it's that a lot of people that probably shouldn't even know that know that somehow so he must have done some pretty publicized things
0: well in the uh, in the book they like one of the many many details that don't get transferred to the screen i mean don't get me wrong the book i mean the movie does is a it's a fantastic movie but no no matter how great a film adaptation is of a great novel they're never going to be able to cover everything and right. one of the things that was left out was that he his exploits were covered in Life magazine when he came oh, back, and he okay. was a he was a Navy Cross winner, which is the highest. That's the hot besides the Medal of Honor. That's like the highest known military accolade there
1: is. So that might be a, a good omission. I feel like because um, I don't know that I'm not saying you know the books is the original content. You know, Puzo co-wrote the script, and they they omitted it maybe for the sake of time or whatever. But I think from from a film perspective which is a way different type of storytelling obviously than a novel i think it would have put too much of a celebrity public figure spotlight on michael which would have been odd to look at it from well, that well lines. it's
0: conveyed pretty it's conveyed pretty effectively when just some random detective knew it
1: yeah, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's but, all that's all they needed to do
0: and i don't think the celebrity element would have been but think about all the all, like puff pieces that get written about people who do is like oh this person started like a like a, a dog shelter for like gay blind dogs and then they do like a whole spread about them in like a magazine and then you, you like you read it and then you if you saw that person you couldn't pick him out of a fucking lineup like it's it's like one of those stories you know what I mean it's not like he was like Audie Murphy it's
1: like um can you take in my dog I I, I just can't raise him anymore out of the money um, he's blind he he's he's sick is he gay no then no I apologize. You cannot come to the shelter. He has to check all the boxes, okay?
0: <laughs> but yeah, I, I can kind of see like what you're talking about. But I think I mean they do pieces about people like that all the time, and it's like only yeah. I don't know. Ba- and maybe back then it would have been a bigger deal because more people read those magazines. But like yeah, just think sure. about random blog articles who get writ that get written about some person, and then it's like you never think about them again. It's like oh that was interesting yeah. for like ten minutes and then
1: you You know forget who they are yeah so so michael i mean we get the two versions of michael um and we get sunny who just escalates and gets to the point of no return obviously quite literally and then fredo they just kind of cast out to vegas um and we you know his arc obviously gets completed through in part two um but the one like constant because you know veto you can't call it constant because he gets shot and then he gets sick and he you know it gets all it gets uh he turns into a big question mark the the biggest constant and like the security blanket is tom hagan in this movie he you know always pretty level uh he's very convincing he's very professional uh he's he's a, a part of the family even though he's not um which is obviously a big deal to 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 break through that way he did um being sort of adopted and rescued by Vito as, as an orphan. Um, but you know, uh, Robert Duvall's performance, uh, as, as Tom Hagen, I really just liked, cause you've like, I like in putting myself in the shoes of the family, like I say, like one of the characters, you're like, I want that guy on my side because like, he's so smart. He's so good at like, like advising and they trust him so much. And he always seems to make, make the right decision. And, uh, even when he gets himself in trouble, he's he's sort of uh, charismatic but calm, and you know, like everything's okay, and just everything about that character is like this big, huge security blanket. And and that part where he like sticks it back to the cop, and he's like, "I'm the Corleone's attorney," and the, you know, blah blah, whatever he says to, to the cop to sort of like say like you know, cut the bullshit here, like you know, you know, we're we're bringing in private detectives or whatever security to guard him, and you know, blah blah blah. He kind of like. Used, used law jargon to, to back off the corrupt cops. And I thought that was one of the most badass scenes in the movie, and it doesn't involve any violence. I thought it was really cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, when, when somebody's being unflappable and they're totally in command of a situation that they're unfamiliar with, and they square it away in about five seconds, that's always impressive. That's a shortcut to somebody having respect on screen. They do it, uh, they, I mean, in numerous places, but the, uh, you know, like he's getting yelled at by Jack Waltz. Just like just screamed at. He's just like, uh, I, I'll, I'm, I'm gonna leave. He just basically well, thank you. He says thank you for a pleasant evening. I'm gonna, i if you could have my car take if you have your car take me to the airport. The dot insists. Yeah, he like wipes news. his mouth
1: with his napkin. Yeah. He's like, thank you very much. This has been great. Uh, like, and then, yeah, like he's polite, horses.
0: but he knows it's over. It's like it's time to go. Like there's no sense of wasting either either of our times with this.
1: Now I know sometimes that's a tactic to further piss someone off without taking a position of blame or guilt because you could just say like no I was sincere I meant it but sometimes it also that's also a way to sort of like jab somebody to be like wow this guy is not intimidated by me that pisses me off <laughs> um but the, the the horse head thing like I uh did not know that was a real horse head and apparently they got it from a dog food factory
0: yeah I didn't either it was funny. They were talked about like how people are so they weren't outraged by any of the violence in the movie, but they were outraged by a real horse head when they kill hundreds of them a day to make food for their dogs. So
1: they're they're blind and gay. They're dogs, blind so. gay dogs. Yeah. Um. So I think that 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 was wild. Like when I read that that was a real horse head. and then the guy like the, those famous screams. Ah, mm-hmm. ah um but what what would you do if you woke up and there was a dead horse head at the bottom of your bed
0: oh i have no idea man that's like one of those things i don't think you could really prepare for that or anticipate what your actual response would be i'd be yeah, like i'd be like I mean, whose horse is this no
1: i don't I'd be like who did i not lock the front door like who got in my ass what fucking horse head how did nobody see that Need <laughs> didn't wake my kids wife didn't wake up all right (laughs) nobody anyway um that's uh, you know again you know the the godfather also is just you want to talk about pop culture like this might be the biggest one we've ever done that gets you know referenced or 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 tributes paid to it in certain ways or or, you know the quotes you can find quotes from the godfather in rom-coms like you've got mail they talk about going to the mattresses and uh monday tom hanks does the monday tuesday thursday wednesday thing um that apollonia does and uh uh, you know again real quick to go back to george lucas he he gave a couple tributes back um to to the godfather in uh return of the jedi how leia kills uh jabba was a tribute to how luca brasi is killed in the godfather i did not know that i found that very interesting and then uh in revenge of the sith when palpatine's talking about building the empire as anakin's killing all the uh, other leaders the separatists it's like when they do the the godfather scene and, and, and all the heads of the families getting killed so i find that i find that interesting that you know an iconic filmmaker pays tribute to another iconic filmmaker and how intertwined they sort of were with their friendship so but there's a ton of examples and i'm sure you could you could name yeah I mean, a bunch well, as well. It,
0: it got so meta that at one point there's a movie that marlon brando did called the graduate where he basically plays Vito Corleone but not Vito Corleone he just plays this gangster that's almost exactly like him he's in it with Matthew Broderick and the whole <sighs> thing is pretty harebrained it's around this scheme where he sells he he tells people they're eating endangered species but he's really feeding them like lunch meat that's like the whole thing I, and, uh, but he, he comes <laughs> off like he's this he's just like really de- he's basically just acting like the godfather but he isn't it's in the, it's this it's this kind of like lighthearted comedy with this like mob element to it and that was what's only, it called the graduate it came out in the i want to say 1990 or 1991 it, so it the was G- like about 20 years after this he did that so it's like that's how full circle it all came with all the references of different tv shows and movies like i still remember in robin hood men in tights when dob de did a uh Vito Corleone impression for this one bit part. It was pretty funny.
1: Yeah, I mean that's Seinfeld. You know when they were looking to um, be the godfather to one of their friends' kids, and they wound up choosing Kramer at the end, and he does the "You never go against the family," and then Jim. the door closes. You know, the, any door yeah. closing shot. I mean, yeah, the the move. I mean, the movie was so
0: influential that it actually influenced real organized crime figures. Like people, <laughs> there were reports that there were mob bosses that were inarticulate and vulgar i mean i don't know anything about that but you know being (laughs) vulgar that is but um they would act they were actually actually changed the way they talked to try to pattern themselves after vito corleone on screen and marlon brando himself like that character was a composite of a of three different mob bosses and he took one of the voices that he heard of i think it was uh, it was one of the. It was what I think it was Vito Genovese. No, it was Frank Costello. He was doing. He was doing some kind of congressional testimony. It was televised, and he said he got that that signature whisper from him, like the whole, "I'll make him an offer he can't refuse." Like he yeah. he got that from that. And then he was also supposed to be a composite of Carlo Gambino, who was the head of the, the original head of the Gambino family. It was a little more low key, and Joe Is that... Th-
1: what isn't Frank Costello the Departed Jack Nicholson's character? Well, that's the
0: name, but they oh. just they just took that name. Yeah, I mean that's a that I mean that's a classic gangster name. You want a, uh, but he was ba- that character was based on Whitey Bulger. The, oh right, the right, Boston right, gangster. Right. Um right.
1: Oh, the Mike that movie was called uh, the Freshman. Oh, what the Freshman,
0: the graduate. Oh, god damn it! Yeah, the graduates the f- one with fucking
1: Mrs. Robinson. Are you it. seducing me, Mrs. Robinson?
0: Yeah, sorry, but oh, okay. When did it come out?
1: Uh, you you were right. It was nineteen ninety. Okay, well, dude, how about not to go on too much of a tangent here, but man, yeah, Marlon Brando really stopped acting well after like the nineteen after like Apocalypse Now. He was nominated <laughs> for like after Apocalypse Now. He was nominated for three Golden ra- uh, Raspberries for worst actor. Oh, Island of Dr.
0: Moreau had to be one of them. You uh, are correct Probably the, also, sc- probably the score
1: No uh, Not the score? No okay. The formula in 1980 oh, I uh, And also Christopher Columbus The Discovery in 1992
0: Oh man, I forgot about that. Was that the one where Gerard Depardieu played Columbus?
1: I think so oh, Yeah
0: Or was that the one where Tom Selleck played Columbus?
1: No. Oh no, Tom Selleck played King Ferdinand Oh Uh <laughs> I... <laughs> Yeah, I don't f- oh uh George Car- Coraface played Christopher Columbus I don't know what that is Never George's had. George's Cora whatever anyway we're here to talk about the Godfather yeah this is this isn't some
0: half assed like Spanish uh, colonial podcast we're gonna talk <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna t- we're to talk about organized crime
1: post-world War II um, yeah but I mean what what a loaded cast like you know like when you think about the cast of this thing like it's like the, the freaking Beatles man you have Frickin well, that's what Robert Duvall, Marlon Brando, Al Pacino. Like, in, in retrospect, really, because, like you were saying, this was, to your point, this was um, Pacino's first major movie and stuff. But uh, the cast itself as a an ensemble, wow, wow that aged well, huh? Well, you're... Tali- uh Talia Shire, his, uh, his uh, niece? Sister. Fort... Oh, it's his sister. Yeah. Francis Ford Coppola's, yeah, sister. Um, he didn't want to put her in because he was, like, a little nervous about. Uh, uh, nepotism and See, stuff that like that. Does, that doesn't track for me at all because he had no well, problem putting his baby in it.
0: He had no problem putting his mom in it. He had no problem putting his like his father in it. Oh yeah,
1: Sophia Sophia Coppola plays one of the babies. Right? Yeah,
0: she's the she's the baby that gets baptized. That's her first. She now, gets,
1: can can we debunk something? Because I read on one of these sites, so it's, you know it's got to be true. Yeah, right. Unless he made this up, I read that Tom Green plays one of the babies in the movie. Did you read that? No.
0: I, I know it sounds insane. But you forget, it, I don't remember,
1: was he even born yet? He was born in like 1970 or 71. Where, so they got this Canadian baby to be in fucking The Godfather. I, I, dude, it's probably BS. If I forget, like who who would make that up? You're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to
0: cite your source on that one, big man. I, I you know.
1: Uh, the it's called The Onion. I don't know if that's which
0: baby. There's
1: um, the little baby who was smoking a cigar
0: <laughs> Well, we did, we did Who Framed Roger Rabbit like eight months ago
1: Oh, shit <laughs> What, 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 what year is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably BS, but I read it and I thought that was, uh Yeah, Mind-blowing so, I, yeah. I have no idea
0: I, I don't, I don't think that's
1: true but. No, it's probably not true It's probably not true Um, so you brought up Tom
0: Green and I don't even I don't even know fucking which way is up now
1: (laughs) well listen I I mean I was a big Tom Green fan I think a lot of us in in that age group were back then but um, actually his stand-up is pretty underrated but let's get back on track Mm -hmm. here Um, yeah Talia Shire obviously more famous for playing uh, Adrian and Rocky Um, Sylvester Stallone I think uh, actually wanted to play one of the roles in this I don't know if it was Sonny or somebody he wanted to get a role in the godfather it didn't work out but they wound up obviously working together on on rocky and he won an oscar for that so good for him um but uh she's she's so good in this movie uh, as connie and you know she's very believable as sort of that italian sister sort of thing and uh i read that that scene the the final scene where carlo tries to purposely antagonize her in order to and abuse her in order to make her call sonny because he's setting him up to kill him uh she breaks everything i remember writing this down in my notes i was like i wanted to ask you to talk to you about that like there's no way they did a second take on this and and i then i wound up because like i say i watch first then check out the trivia i guess they didn't do another take but not because of the scene setup but because something with she broke her shoe and the way she was hobbling around and stuff they just loved uh, everything she did in that one take that they didn't feel the need to do a setup and, and redo it they felt that it was very authentic in terms of how uh they both nailed down that scene and she really smashes the shit out of that whole set man so that would have been a lot of cleanup a lot of resetting up get the new props and in the placement for the continuity and stuff so i just assumed that was a one take thing and I, I believe it was clean it up you giddy brat um <laughs> the
0: one thing I thought was kind of kind of strange when when I was doing research was one of the other things Robert Evans contributed was he had to he wanted there to be more action in the movie so they they added like Coppola added that he added a domestic violence scene and that kind of like quieted him down man different times the seventies it's like oh, yeah you know, we we got to do something to spice this movie up it's like I know domestic violence.
1: Dude, I'll, I'll say that I I haven't and I guess another brief tangent here, but it's kind of important in a way in terms of like to your point. Have you seen the new Batman yet? Yeah. Oh, you did? Did yeah. we talk about this? Yeah, we did talked about like it? the
0: Batman Begins podcast. I, I mean, oh, I right.
1: I didn't get it right. too into it because the movie had
0: only been out for like two days. I didn't want to like right. hit people with spoilers.
1: Okay, yeah. I I haven't seen it yet, but I did hear and maybe you and I already talked about this. So forgive me for my dementia, but uh colin farrell was saying they wouldn't let him smoke as the penguin in the movie and it's just like that is so bizarre that that, that that's where we are in, in the way yeah it's like uh, yeah that's the today. line
0: it's you know we could do you know murder we, is fine rape yeah, is fine yeah murder like gay incest like sex changes all that stuff's cool but no smoking on screen now can't do that none of
1: it we cannot the kids will start smoking But anyway, by the way, I wanted
0: to mention at the top, but you know, we kind of just went right into it. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny how you tweeted about how we're like, this is how we're doing the Oscars. We're talking about like a classic movie instead of because I, I don't even know. I know that that Power of the Dog movie got nominated for like nine Oscars or something, and I watched that thing, and I'm gonna tell you that thing is a slog, dude. That is not an entertaining. Aren't
1: most Oscar movies? slogs though they don't have to be like a
0: movie can have that kind of like sometimes you can watch a movie and you can know that it has like that kind of artistic gravitas that is just Oscar bait but you can still enjoy it but this was not one of those movies and guess who directed it
1: oh uh oh it was,
0: was it Jane Campion the same like lady who made the piano <laughs>
1: Oh, the piano! <laughs> the piano, go figure. Yeah, I'm not seeing that movie. Yeah, I'm like, I, the,
0: and it was so funny because I had like random. I had two or three random people ask me. One of them was my chiropractor, who listens to the show sometimes. He he asked me if I'd seen the Power Power of the Dog, and he was like, he's like, oh man, was that bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I, lo- I love that. I love that you uh have that like relationship with your fucking chiropractor. He's <laughs> talking about movies and shit. That's yeah, cool it's all good it's like it's like it's like jim jimmy cameron jimmy khan and your chiropractor are your three (laughs) best friends apparently um and i'm way down the list close close personal friends yeah yeah um so what, what did you think about the um like the uh dichotomy between the family and stuff because you know at the beginning of the movie you're like wow this is like a full family a full group and the all the guys in the room and stuff and then all of a sudden like you know you take Sonny out of the equation and it just feels very thin um but in turn and they send fredo obviously to vegas too but what do you think about the overall um because you have two brothers so you're, you're a family of three brothers so did you feel any like sort of like familiarity with how the brothers interact with each other uh what do you think about the authenticity of the, the relationship between between the family from father to uh the sons and, and you know the mom was pretty much out uh on the uh periphery sort of like what from outside looking in she really wasn't involved it was like more of like the boys club or whatever but uh what do you what would you think about uh those relationships well, there's, and the a, there's a lot and
0: going on there i don't want to get too personal about you know my family but
1: I no, know- no 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 No, that's not what I meant. Yeah.
0: It's fine. I mean, like, the I know part of uh, Coppola's process was he had these rehearsals where they would just sit down to dinner and, like, interact with each other and, like, from there try to figure out their roles in the family and all that stuff. And that's where a lot of that came from, particularly, you know, that I would guess that seat at the table where Sonny is talking about business. And then Carlo asks him for a favor that he's like, hey, we don't talk business at the table. (laughs)
1: And the
0: you know there's there's there are pretty I don't know about not cliches but there's kind of like shop worn tropes that get reused in literature and then they show back up in television movies and I guess um, I know this might be kind of a reach but I remember picking this up somewhere I never read it myself but the 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 relationship between the brothers was kind of influenced by the novel The Brothers Karamazov there was like. The hot-headed kind of tough one like the warrior archetype and then you have kind of like the counselor who's kind of like who's also from the outside adopted then you have the kind of the weak one and then you have kind of the, the I guess what you would call the chosen one or the prodigal son who returns and has kind of the it, it like maybe what you said kind of is the most like his father despite what it may seem Even though he went Out of his way He went to an Ivy League school He joined the military You know It seemed like he would Like And you know They actually have That great scene That was actually rich, Written in an uncredited Rewrite by Robert Town Who is pretty famous For Chinatown I mean I'm sure he's done A bunch of other things But that's, well, every oh, time man, I Oh
1: man What a good, good movie that is yeah, too Yeah
0: I hear that name And I instantly think Of Chinatown But he wrote the scene Where they're in the garden Talking And you know Vito says to him He goes I didn't want this for you I want You know oh. I, You know I wanted you to be like what somebody who pulls the strings governor senator corleone governor corleone and then it's like and it's like that's pretty sad that you know there's that whole thing about one of the big themes in this movie is just the importance of family and how hard that is to get out of your bones and like how important it, it can be and it can also you know kind of lead to your you know your moral turpitude which is kind of what happens with the michael character i mean as he you know he's an enviable character to watch on screen and that he you know he's a like we were talking about he's a leader and he's decisive and you know he makes things happen and, but he's just like you could tell it's just he's getting more and more down the road at, like as the movie goes right. on and then especially in the second movie which like we don't have enough time to talk about the second movie and we could do it another time Great, gladly, I would love to do that. But yeah, yeah. Um, to kind of, I, 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 just wanted to contextualize all that because to kind of answer your question, I mean, I think it, I think it does a good job with that stuff. But I mean, I think it kind of was done in the context of existing kind of literary portrayals of those relationships, and then how the actors all work together. I mean, I, I, did, I didn't even think about how. But you're right. I mean, you, you have one brother dies, and then another brother basically gets. Sent away for kind of his own protection, and then another one goes into exile. And I mean, yeah, it's like it's it's one of those it things evaporates where it's, quick. What?
1: It evaporates quick.
0: Yeah, that's and uh, that's sadly that's how it happens in real life. Things can be five for years, and then it takes a week, and everything goes to shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. True. True. It's it's funny because. Um. I think one of the first parts of the movie where i realized how much conviction michael has in his decisions is when they tell tom he's out and he you know tom for for once shows you know not for once but he shows more emotion than usual as he's trying to plead his case like i can help out and and he just goes you're out tom (laughs) just fucking cold but just that's i'm clear in that decision that's it like the, the the discussion has ended already. Um, something about that line. I don't know. You're out, Tom. And uh, yeah, that, and I don't it. know
0: if it's direction or if it was acting or a combination of both. But he does more stuff to broadcast how fatigued he is. Like at like the scene you mentioned. Like he takes his tie down. He sits in the chair. Oh yeah, and hands, hands on like, his face. Yeah. Yeah, and then when he goes to Las Vegas and he's putting the rag in his eye, like the wet rag in his eyes, he just looks like he's just beat. But he like has to yeah. keep keep going. Yeah, like
1: yeah. Yeah, think and of how a price. he ruffles Mo Green's feathers is, uh, he's like, I leave it, uh, I leave it, blah, 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 uh, let me know a price. And yeah, he gets up and walks out. And Mo Green's like, you're not, t- yeah, he, <laughs> he goes, was making my bones yeah. when you were dating cheerleaders. Yeah, you know? yeah he goes, he goes, think of a price. And he just gets
0: up and walks Oh up.
1: my, god, what a what a yeah. fucking pimp move. Yeah. Holy cow. Credo, I'm wow. here on
0: business. I'm leaving tomorrow. Get rid of him
1: get rid of the girls and then Fredo's like what's the matter with you get out of here come on <laughs> like he has to take out it his- Fredo is at the bottom of the food chain so he has to take it out on the hookers it's yeah, just uh, like
0: John Kazali doesn't get a lot of love but I mean that guy he did five movies they were all nominated for best picture he he dated in her prime Meryl Streep and then he died what a life I mean if you got to die at 42 I mean there's a lot worse ways to go than that yeah, didn't he
1: have, like, blood cancer or something horrible? Oh,
0: yeah, some, some, it was some kind of cancer, some awful shit, like, well, and he, uh, well as opposed to all the great cancers out there.
1: True, true, yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to not Fuffy shed light on people. idiot. The, yeah, yeah, what a fucking idiot I am sometimes. Um, listen, Dog Day Afternoon, yeah, Deer Hunter, I think that, I assume that's where he met Meryl Streep, but, um... Yeah, he, he's a, a fabulous actor Although, uh, which is a good segue here I, I believe he's the only member of the brothers and father That were not nominated for an Oscar for this movie I believe Pacino, James Caan, Robert Duvall And obviously, that they didn't win, I believe I don't think either Did any of them win? Um, I don't think so I think Marlon Brandt Well, it was kind of a controversy because Al
0: Pacino the was supporting in, He was in the yeah. movie longer But he was nominated yeah. in the supporting category Right, right
1: I I don't think any Those three were nominated uh, And then uh, obviously Marlon Brando was not one And then he sent someone up to to Well, I mean,
0: it's one of those things too That the Academy does shit like that Like, you know, I think we've mentioned it before But Anthony Hopkins got a Best Actor Oscar He was in Silence of the Lambs for 14 minutes
1: Right, yeah, 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 absolutely And I I believe, you know, one of the trivia points I read I forget where it was I don't know if it was IMDb or, or wherever But they said Marlon Brando was only in the movie for an hour. I'm like, Only? Yeah. I'm like you should you'd be surprised at you know, how low screen time is for for a lot of uh, characters and stuff like that. I, when and, I was pretty watch- iconic roles.
0: It was funny because when I was rewatching this, I I was expecting it to be like three three and a half hours. But that, I forgot it was like, but it was like a little under I think it was like two hours fifty five minutes. But then they have like there's an expanded cut and then they have another one that like combines the two movies. There's a bunch of deleted seeds out there. I watched some of them. I mean, they don't, they don't really contribute a whole, like, hell of a lot. I know, like, like I mentioned earlier, I know James Conn was pretty upset because a lot of his part got cut out um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the point that he actually said something to <laughs> Coppola at the premiere. He went up to him, he's like, you cut my whole fucking part out. <laughs> <laughs> but, I th- but I think a little Santino goes a long way. For
1: sure Oh oh yeah I thought he was used perfectly um, He steals almost every scene he's in Just with his intensity alone And you know James Caan's not a big man But he he seems bigger Because of his personality And his attitude uh, He's definitely a, a tough guy And he, he had that reputation uh, For a lot of roles he's played Over the years Because of this um, But I yeah I thought they were all great And the fact that you know Most of them got nominated For Academy Awards Even though they may not have won The fact that this movie Won Best Picture It won uh, best Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Those are the three big ones right there. I mean, those that those are huge, huge wins. And it was also, you know, some movies win these awards, but they're not like big financial successes. This thing was a blockbuster. It's a man. Big, it was For, the biggest uh, the, movie of 1972. It, yeah, it and,
0: single-handedly quadrupled the stock price of Paramount Pictures. And yeah, it
1: probably changed the whole landscape of that studio. It, yeah. it was so it was so
0: funny that you picked this movie, and then we got a little waylaid, and we'll, we'll apologize again for that. But you know, I was I was just listening. I was flipping through the radio stations, and one of my presets is the local NPR affiliate, and they were doing like a 50th anniversary retrospective about The Godfather. It was just so it was just so funny that I had that movie on the brain because we were going to talk about it, and then it just happened to be the 50th anniversary, so all these news outlets are talking about it. And one of the things that they mentioned. Uh, part of the kind of the, le- the ongoing legacy of the God well no maybe not the ongoing but the historical legacy of it was a lot of times I know I do I wistfully talk about and you could read articles about it some people feel the same way but they were making mov- the way they were making movies in the 70s we're never going to see that again the la- like, where it, the, it, the independent ideas like movies like Easy Rider and like all these all these all these well uh-huh. I didn't I didn't particularly love Easy Rider but like movies from the 70s like Vanishing Point. I always mention Vanishing Point because like that's not a movie that would get made today. It's just a guy who wants to do something and it's drug fueled. There's not really much of a plot, but then there's Thebes if you look for them, but like this movie helped contribute to that model where it was kind of like the the art the artistic creative vision kind of wagged the dog for a while. You know, that's yeah. how that's why these crazy movies were getting made in the 70s and you're probably never like now. Where where are you at without? I mean, they're doing independent cinema, but it's not like you still. To, generally speaking, you need studio backing. You need that kind of corporate approval, and that comes with oversight, focus groups, all that shit. And yeah, you know, this movie kind of helped. Like, so if you're a fan of, of, of any of those like goofy movies that came out in the '70s, and you're like, man, they really don't make. They don't really don't make them like this anymore. The Godfather indirectly had something to do with that.
1: That's a great point. Yeah. I, you know, movies today, it's way safer bet to make a an IP, intellectual property, franchise movie, or, you know, just a sequel to something that was successful. A reboot. Why for, for, for some dumb fucking reason, we got two sequels to The Hangover, which makes zero sense. Um, uh, yeah, reboots, or, you know, if someone's established like a Tarantino or a Scorsese where it's like, uh, yeah, we'll 100% put out your movie or whatever. So, um, you don't, don't. You're not going to see someone who doesn't have the greatest track record, or they're, they're just cutting their teeth, pitching uh, a, a movie and getting a higher percentage chance of it being made, uh, like it may have 50 years ago. So I agree with you. That's a great point. Um, did and, you?
0: Uh, did, what was? What was your take on the? I mean, you kind of asked me my opinion, and then I kind of talked about a bunch of other stuff, like your opinion about the whole relationship with the family, like how it evolved um, over the course of the movie.
1: So I think because of how the dialogue was written, there's a lot of casual talk that doesn't feel like, you know, insert cliche movie line here. A lot of it is um, throwaway stuff and how certain people look at each other or like even like, you know, Sonny putting his hand on Tom's shoulder or something like that. It's kind of like pat him and like, you know, just how they interact and the chemistry between them that may not even necessarily be on pages i know a lot of it I, I took a look at the screenplay and there is a lot of uh physical direction um but as you said there's a lot of improvisation and a lot of liberties that coppola allowed the actors to take in order to uh create their characters and make them more feel more genuine i i thought the that was one of the stronger parts of the movie was the relationship between the brothers and Uh, sort of seeing how they are viewed through the eyes of their father because each of them maybe have little bits of him in them, but Michael's probably the most like him in terms of the maturity and sort of that, you know, observe, first, talk, second sort of thing. So, you know, I I feel like that's like a, a, I don't know if it's a cliche in in, in mafia movies, but there's there's always something about the, the person who, um, watches what other people are saying before they sort of speak their mind that uh, you're like, that's, that's the guy. That's the guy you got to look out for. That's the guy. That's the smart guy in the room right there. And Sonny wasn't that at all. And Fredo was um, not taken seriously at all, uh, obviously. And um, I mean, even the point where he... For, for whatever reason he was the only one there with his dad when he's when he got gunned down and he's fumbling with a gun and he just watches his father fall down he doesn't even go to help him at first he's just like this helpless fucking loser and and then you have michael who goes through the biggest shift but you get them all in that room and th- those few scenes where they're all together including tom and including Vito, those are some of the best scenes in in the movie kind of like how you know, Sonny's telling Michael, like, ah, he, he's, that's my kid brother. Oh, yeah. he, he's like looking right past Michael, who w- ends up being the most important person in the room uh, an hour later in the movie. So um, I, I just find that each character's, um, the most uh, intense part of each of their personalities when they bounced off each other led to some pretty um, entertaining and, and uh, believable familial scenes. Uh, so I I really think that, that that was a big part of the movie, and I, I'm a sucker for that though. Like, the character relationships always take me to a certain higher level of appreciation for a movie. That and music, which we haven't talked about music yet either. Um, one of the most iconic movie theme songs of all time,
0: which Robert Evans hated at first.
1: What is the fuck? What's this fucking guy's problem? I don't know. God. I mean, all's well that ends
0: well, right? Plus the also the the I thought this was funny the. Um, composer was stricken from Academy Award nomination because they made a determination that he plagiarized his own work. <laughs> he plagiarized <laughs> his work from a movie in the fifties to make some of the like his theme for this. But um, oh wow, yeah,
1: he won the Oscar for Godfather Part Two, um, original score. Guess he cleaned he that died. up a little bit. Then he died in nineteen seventy nine. Uh, his name is Nino Rada. But you know it's funny and he's he died uh he's from Italy and he died in Italy but um the funny thing about the Godfather theme you know it's parodied a lot in movies that try to do mafia scenes like they do that thing where they don't want to get copyright hits so they do something that sounds similar but it isn't that mm-hmm. um kind of like when like like when Hogan went to WCW and they're like we got to do something like real american but it can't be real american mm-hmm. um and for wrestling fans out there anyway but uh I like Slash from Guns N' Roses. Like anytime, like sometimes when the rest of the band would take a break, he'd go out and do a guitar solo. He would do sometimes the theme from The Godfather. Oh, and, I you know that
0: was really. Cool. I also look for that on YouTube for sure.
1: Yeah, that's really cool sounding, and you know, it's, um, it's it's definitely one of those themes like you know a Jaws or a Superman or Star Wars or something like. We you hear it, and you're like Godfather. Boom! I know that. I know that theme. Where some you know some movies may not have that. Even some great movies, like I, I don't remember what the music sounded like in for Chinatown. Uh, but i remember the theme for the godfather um and it's and they use it in varying different ways uh to convey certain scenes and stuff like that so um and then i don't know if this was a choice by the composer or what but the end of the movie how they use the church organ music as the overlay of the killing of all the heads of the families and you know what it made me think there's like two scenes in this movie that made me think of goodfellas and obviously goodfellas came after but the one scene when Sonny beats up Car- uh, Carlo, <clears throat> that made me think of when uh, Henry goes across the street and beats the shit out of that guy because mm. he was you know was roughing up the girl and, and what have you. Um, and then the other scene is like the Layla scene, the Derek and the Dominoes piano beautiful piece being played over all these people getting killed. That makes me think of you know in the in the Godfather, it's more of this haunting. Uh, almost horror-sounding organ playing, but as they're playing that and he's doing the vows and obviously lying through his teeth as everyone's getting killed. Though, I, I saw parallels there. I don't know if you you see that connection. I'm not saying Scorsese ripped it off or anything like that, but I, I that yeah, made me the, think of those scenes. The
0: juxtaposition of a guy of, of do you renounce Satan at all? His works. I do. And then a guy getting shotgunned to death in an elevator, or like a guy getting machine gunned to death with a prostitute in a bed.
1: Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how, how about Barzini's? stunt double like a rolling down this st- like all those steps and he at one he must have been at some point just like i can't go down anymore i'm gonna stop right here <laughs> that what like go back for anyone who's listening at the end of the movie you see that guy and it's barzini and he gets shot and then he like tumbles down the stairs it's clear as day a stunt double like more clear than bruce willis's stunt double and die hard but it's 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 you gotta give the guy credit, because he's rolling down concrete steps, and he goes down about 16 of them. It's like Rocky's staircase, and he, he just stops halfway down. He's probably like, I'm not gonna pay enough for this shit. Fuck this.
0: <laughs> and that's an important character, too, and he, like, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue. He only has dialogue in the big sit-down scene. Yeah. Near, like, towards True. the back half of the movie, and... And then, but but like he communicates kind of in other ways, like when he's at the wedding and the guy takes his picture and he just points at him and then they just go and grab the yes! camera and he just rips the he just rips the picture out and it, like gives it back to him.
1: Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I forgot that was him. That's right. Yeah, yeah well, that, that that yeah that's that's cool. that's just cool. Those those are cool scenes. I like that stuff. Um,
0: what, another thing I wanted to touch on real quick before we get like and then we can get back to the movie was you know I talked about how life imitating art with. The mob influence with the actors and the production of the film, there was also like this crazy Machiavellian scheming going on behind the scenes, like where, um, Coppola's on the picture, but the studio's not really happy with how things are going, and there's like informers in the crew, like his assi- his e- the first editor on the film, whose name escapes me right now, but uh, and the assistant director were reporting back and saying that he was going over budget and that. They were over on time, which none of these things were true because the reason Albert Ruddy was brought in to produce is because he had a reputation for bringing in films on time and under budget. And so he actually called Robert Evans, who was the head of Paramount at the time and one of the, you know, as we established, one of the big proponents for this film. And yeah. he was like, these guys are working against me. They're trying to get me fired. And he goes, just fire. He goes, fire all of them. So he fired like 14 guys off the production of this movie
1: holy cow
0: so there's this like and and that tension led to the uh albert ruddy saying he said something to the effect of this was it was there was a miserable movie i don't think anyone enjoyed a single day of it because there was so much tension on set and they would there was this kind of escalating series of practical jokes to try to break the tension. Like, there was a scene where the guy who plays Luca Brazzi is just doing the scene, and he was nervous working with Marlon Brando because Marlon Brando was such a huge actor at this time. And he just had a little post-it note that said, fuck you on it, on his tongue, and he just stuck it out when they were supposed to do the scene. Like, he was supposed to talk, he just <laughs> stuck it out. And Brando's cracking up because apparently he had, he has a reputation for being a good Brando sport. did it? No. Uh, Lenny Montana, who played Luca Brazzi, oh. did it to oh. him in their sit Oh, wow, scene. that's funny. Yeah, and then... There was this whole thing where guys would just pull their asses out. Like there was, a, everybody was just mooning everybody all the time.
1: I I read that your your buddy Jimmy Conn and Robert Duvall, <laughs> believe it or not, were the two doing a lot of that.
0: Yeah, Marlon Brando. They actually made a title for him as the Moon Champion or something because he he pulled his ass out during the wedding scene, <laughs> and he so he mooned like four hundred people.
1: And like, oh, it's so funny! My my uh, my father in law. We were at a wedding. This is before I was dating kathleen i was um obviously friends with uh, her brother and we were at some wedding and and um my father-in-law uh was pretty drunk and there was a helicopter because these people had some money and they were taking like the helicopter shots and he's like who's gonna moon the helicopter (laughs) so when i when i heard about robert Duvall and stuff doing that i thought that was pretty funny because he's like this like nice gentlemanly guy and he's like all right let me take my ass out but (laughs) Um, and my father-in-law didn't do it He was kidding around, by the way Just to save his name there But um, it's fu- it, This is kind of gross But Jim uh, Jim Here I go calling James Conn Jim Con Because of you <laughs> And your relationship with him um, James <laughs> Conn When he was wearing his Like little Guinea wife beater shirt I know you're not supposed to call them Wife beaters anymore I don't know what the A-shirts I don't know what they call them That's, but, you that's the I'm
0: correct talking. term, I think That's the That's the clinical
1: term for it A-shirt? Yeah it's a shirt um (laughs) he has very hairy shoulders and to me that makes me think he probably has a very hairy ass so it's probably not the best ass to look at as he was mooning you on the set while you're trying to get your your work done yeah unless he was like way ahead
0: of the the ass waxing game like he was getting ass waxes in 1971 way before it was fashionable or widely that that's what
1: he did with don rickles to prepare for his role (laughs) he just started getting his ass waxed Rickles would like wax his head, and then James Con would wax his ass. Maybe, <laughs> who knows? But anyway, again, find me another Godfather podcast where you talk about whether or not James Conn waxed his ass, because you're not going to find it, folks. This is it.
0: Yeah, you, you're um, on a set where everything's tense because you've got you've got intrigue, you have reprisals, you have infighting. <laughs> like Coppola was fighting with his with his uh, director of photography all the time over different things and at one point there was a loud bang from his office and people on the crew thought that he shot himself because they got into it so bad like it was so the the and production the- of this movie was I know you said something earlier where you, you you thought the cast was loaded and there are people who like Stanley Kubrick agreed with you so you're in good company he said he said he thought this movie had the the potential to be the biggest like the best movie ever because it had this incredible cast maybe the best cast ever assembled but Al Pacino told a different story about how, would he and Diane Keaton were at the wedding scene, and there was just all this chaos going on. As you you told everybody about, you know, it was basically they were just letting everything go, and they were filming a couple things that needed to be captured on film, but they wanted to capture authenticity, and they were just sitting there drinking, and they were like, "This could be the worst movie ever." Like we don't they it was like they didn't know what was going on.
1: Yeah i I did not know about all the drama for. For the onset stuff, so that that obviously, um, I mean, it obviously, all worked out, but it clearly yeah, it, added it's, uh, a lot know, of it's, tension. We've been doing
0: this; we haven't been doing this for that long of a time. I mean, we've been doing it for almost a, like a little over a year, closer to a year and a half, and this is our thirty fifth thirty fifth movie we've discussed. But it's just interesting so, to hear that these movies are these giant hits, and there's so much that went on. During yeah. it, like it's never like, oh well, we wrote this script and the script was really good, and then all the people we wanted to yeah. be in it were in it, and then we just we made the movie and there were no problems, and then it that the movie was a huge success critically and commercially. It's you know I think about Gladiator especially like all the changes that were made to that on the fly and like you know Russell yeah. Crowe you know butting heads with people. They on on this set you have Marlon Brando and he's got cue cards <laughs> everywhere because that's his method. And then the other actors are like, what the hell is this? And then they're, you know, they're trying to do their thing. And, you know, they, they, you know you've got the director and the, and the cinematographer, and they're, like, trying to kill each other. <laughs> and then you've got the, you have people working against them from the inside. So you've got, like, this ver, veritable snake pit going on on the set of this Mafia movie. It's oddly fitting.
1: Yeah, it it's yeah that's i mean it's crazy man and the fact that i don't know if this is true or not but they started production on part two before they finished part one um or or at least pre-production or something like that so they knew that they had something great there regardless of all the drama so i think it's like you know it's one of those things where maybe it was it was destined to be great no matter what happened but i think it's such a complex movie and uh like you were saying before the way they made movies back then um, you know they're not using vi- like many visual effects uh, a lot of it was pretty organic and authentic and um, there's a lot that goes into that like yeah. even your description of the fight scene with the uh, sunny and, and all, all the extras and the environments and the, the fire hydrant and all the cars that had to look from the, the, the their cars from the 1940s and you know they the, you have to dress the whole street and dress it down and all that stuff just to get one 90 second scene times that by two hours and 55 minutes uh, you're gonna get that I guess sort of drama I, And I think Like you say, We do 30, 35 movies so far Give or take um, I think it's The the exception to the rule Is a movie that is smooth I feel like more movies Than not run into issues In, in varying degrees Right
0: Because it's, it's the whole Creative process You know you're not It's not assembly line In a factory That either it works Or it doesn't It's yeah. You've got yeah. You've got all these people That all have input And they all have varying levels of validity and commitment whether it's financial or otherwise and they're all trying to make the best thing possible but sometimes those ideas don't quite mesh I was glad you brought up the thing about the the 40s because like one of the details that they they put in the movie was all the cars had wood bumpers because
1: we're, <laughs> we're just
0: coming out of World War II and cars back then during the war it took a couple years because they started to use wood bumpers because they needed all the steel for planes and weapons and things like that, which I, you know, that's yeah. something that, that's just a crazy detail I like never would have thought of. And, but it was, yeah, and they had to address that's, tons I, of stuff. I didn't like, know that. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's I didn't know that, and I'll, you know that their attention to detail is uh, excellent. Um, you know, and just so, so many things about this movie, you know, just and, and from the character perspectives, you know, stuff that may have gone over my head or you know maybe i i didn't pay attention to a certain part i should have paid more attention to in prior viewings especially when i was younger but like thinking about Vito corleone now and even when he was you know after he had been shot and he you know his health was declining and and all of that he still was a step ahead of everybody and th- like seeing them know that you know uh what's his name tessio Uh, Abe Vigoda was the one who was setting Michael up and they kind of knew that they knew damn well about Carlo but they wanted to like pull him closer uh, and then handle him when uh, uh, after was it it was after Vito died he didn't want to he didn't want to kill his he didn't want to widow make his daughter a widow or something like that so they waited till he you know he passed and just all, all those sorts of things but the, the, the main point I'm trying to make here is like a line of when they're he's trying to make peace with the the five families and, and Vito says, I will not be the one to break peace here today' is the last thing he says he puts his hand on his heart because Michael's gonna be the one that's gonna break the peace he was you know he he's being truthful but he's like, you're all gonna get fucking killed I'm uh, but I'm gonna sit here and act like you know Mother Teresa but <laughs> so when I see that line I'm like I didn't realize that at the time but i'm like no he's he's in other words saying like i'm not going to do it doesn't yeah. mean my son
0: well done. yeah when i was rewatching this it was i forgot how much time passed before they settled all the family business i forget
1: it, all I, I have a tr- i need a map to see actually because i have trouble with that too dude because they
0: have that big sit down and then years go by michael gets married he has two children Connie has. Oh yeah, like a five
1: year old gets out of the car or whatever. You're like, what the fuck did that get? So they
0: waited that long to get everything in order, and they they played ball and did. But the whole time, it was that that plan he made with his father, and he didn't want Tom Hagen involved in that because part of Michael's vision was the was the organization, the Corleone family becoming completely legitimate, and he needed Tom Hagen for that side. He didn't want him involved in that. So, like, some people involve, like interpret that scene as, you're out, Tom, is that he's, well, he's, you know, because uh, Sonny was going on a tangent about how he wasn't a wartime consigliere. Right, And right. Michael didn't think, I don't think Michael didn't think he was capable of it. I think he just wanted him removed from that. He wanted to focus, he thought the Las Vegas operations were the future because the some of the families, the Corleone family feature, but one of the other ones did too, they talked about how they didn't want to get involved in narcotics because... In hindsight, they were right, and I don't know if they—that hindsight was even that evolved when Puzo wrote the novel or when the movie was produced. But I mean that—that's that's incredible strategic vision to realize that this is this is going to get the federal authorities involved, and that's ultimately what led to the collapse of the mafia the Italian mafia as we know it. I mean, it still exists. There's, there's still an Italian organized crime element probably in every major American city. But it doesn't have the same allure and the same power base that it did during this time. And even in the sixties yeah. and seventies and eighties. Because once drugs get involved in the war on drugs, and you get you get the, the, the whole the the full weight of the federal government involved, it's a lot harder to to, you know, keep things running smoothly. You can't bribe all those guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good point. Um, I I didn't really think about that with the Tom thing. They wanted to kind of keep his hands clean, in a sense. I guess that's a yeah, that's a great point. It went over my head, but there's a lot of things in this movie to like it's um, and that could be just one one interpretation too. It doesn't mean you're wrong. No, and it, but it's it, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, a lot of these scenes in this movie are slow burns it's the you know a slow drag from the cigarette or or, or, a, or a you know a glass of bourbon in your hand sort of thing you take small sips that, that kind of feeling but you still have to like pay attention to the nuances and, and like yeah they're saying this but what do they really mean here or what's the what's the long game on, on on what they're doing here and i feel like on this rewatch i was able to absorb a lot more of that than in prior viewings where i would maybe just like gloss over something it's like think in my mind oh that, that, that's not important that's not important but there are a lot of things um that you know on another watch you know in the future I'll probably see and be like oh shit I didn't realize that or you know like we were talking about with Ghostbusters with Egon telling mm. Venkman the price and stuff mm. you know I love that stuff and uh th- this movie has a bunch of those and you know one thing I had to do Mike too you know we were talking about the 1940s and you know the element of inflation and they said you know for three you know uh um he oh God, what's that stupid guy's name? Oh, Salazo was telling uh Vito like, you know, in your first year you can make three to four million uh in the drugs, and that translates to fifty-five million today. Oof. Um so that's 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 a heavy amount of money, as you would say, Mike. <laughs> a lot of cash. Um But it gets, you know, it gets Vito turns it down and he does it again in that very like i guess maybe tom hagan got it from him he does it in a very polite way I mean, he meets him looks him straight in the eye and says you know uh, i'm not here to, to um insult the way you want to make your money but uh, this isn't something we're going to do here and he shakes his hand and um salazzo obviously puts a hit out on him because of it um and that you know spirals that whole story out of control in terms of you know the fate of vito corleone um but and I don't like to speculate when when it comes to fiction and think like oh what would have happened if Vito never got shot and you know if uh, his bodyguard who wound up being a, a snake uh, was there and you know he, and say Vito doesn't get shot does that what happens to Michael and you know what happens to everybody and does Sonny not uh, end up getting killed and uh, all that stuff it, you know it's the chain reaction of stuff that happens in this in this movie that you know it it snowballs and affects everyone. All the characters, oh, yeah. Without uh, for, the conflict, though, you bit. don't have the
0: drama, and then it's not, you know, it's not interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, but I'm saying like they could have went, you know, different avenues. You know, Vito has a heart attack instead of getting shot, or, or you know, Michael isn't the one who who put who kills Salazzo or you know, yeah, you know, whatever. But um, I I like how everything turned out in terms of uh, the storytelling because you know Michael becoming. The godfather and his obsession with there's i don't look i'm part italian my grandfather's from uh his family's from sicily and so i'm not trying to like say anything bad about italians or sicilians specifically but there's that whole pride thing that gets seems to get people stuck in their ways or or in trouble and it's like michael's obsession with following the tradition of you know becoming the godfather and you know it's almost like when he was like pressuring i think is the right word Kay to marry him his focus seemed completely on having children to carry on the tradition, and you know that to create what his father created, more so than loving her. He was just like, "Marry me, let's have kids." You know, let's boom, 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 boom. It like nothing about what he said to Kay in that speech to to woo to woo her to to convince her to marry him felt sounded like love to me at all. It sounded like a, a vehicle, a tool. That like, could, I mean, that could be, to...
0: but I mean, he probably had feelings for her still, even but. Like because they're, they're he was rela- with the Italian
1: bird. What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> well, that relationship ended in such a weird way. He had to flee. T- he had to flee, and then you know, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of a, one of those things where I don't want to I've got what, me talking about the affairs of the human heart. I mean, that's fucking rich. But um, <laughs> the it was almost like when you know he met like when they 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 talk about when he sees. It, they talk about it in the novel too but they do it in the in the film so you know they talk about him getting hit by the thunderbolt when he saw Apollonia like it was like the whole love at first sight thing the whole you know people talk about with the epic love stories even with people you know it's like when you know you know like one of my friends he said he met a girl on a, on a first date he said he said if he's driving home he's like I'm gonna marry that girl and it's like sometimes people just they just know and it's like and then that girl died and it's like You know, to be a little sappy That girl had his heart And she she died So he It it feeds into your whole point About how he came back different Because it's like, well He probably still had some lingering feelings for Kay before And she kind of knows the score Why not You know, like he was considering it before His life changed so radically And now there's like a little piece of him That's missing, so now he's gonna fill it with her And with children, and his legacy and all that stuff. But it
1: doesn't necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he didn't have love for her. I'm not no, trying no. to say that. But, but, th- but, but had, I see what you had, mean. Had, yeah. It was more yeah. of like a,
0: a means to an end than the, the ending yeah. he wanted.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, and like fa- family was like the biggest thing to veto. And he's like, you know, I can't, you know, uh, any man who doesn't spend time with his family is not a real man and stuff. And he probably beat that over his kid's head. Like, so then. You know, you get conditioned as a kid. And, like, whether you like it or not, your parents shape you and mold you. Um, yeah, I like to think mostly for good. And, you know, that that probably carried on with them, especially, you know, an Italian family where families, uh, in their opinion, like,
0: what, you know, and when he really, said,
1: really important to them.
0: When he said that line, he was directing it at Sonny because Sonny had his wife and he had the two or three young kids and he was yeah. running around with this this woman right. and then like he was out doing things for work too but he said i guess he didn't think he spent enough time with his family like that was a that line served a, a very specific purpose
1: right which on the flip side of that <clears throat> going back to this the first introduction of Kay and michael at the wedding you know Vito's looking through the blinds and watching michael uh you know with this young girl and uh i don't know what the if there's any sort of uh intention behind that or if it's just him sort of like looking at because you feel like don't you feel like he like he just liked michael more than any of his oh yeah he, kids. like yeah
0: that's the thing i mean i mean i'm not gonna put you on the spot but parents have to pretend they don't have favorite kids and they do it's just the way it is it's like there's just kids that you've, like, you like you have different relationship with with them or you're closer with them and that's
1: yeah i think i'm taking the bronze medal in my house <laughs> My sister's number one. I think my brother's number two, and then I take I'll take the bronze, but um, yeah,
0: a, that's that middle child shit, man. You gotta you gotta get past that. I, I was talking you know, more the, about you playing favorites with your own children. Like I wasn't gonna oh, put you no, on the spot I, way. I
1: Absolutely absolutely not. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> how dare
0: you? Yeah, well yeah, it's it's pretty clear that that's how it was portrayed, is that Michael was always the favorite son.
1: And yeah yeah maybe he was just looking at him in a, an adoring way and sort of like proud of him and he was and glad he was in there. in military uniform and yeah and and what kind of man he, t- he turns over to and he, he brings this you know young girl attractive young girl to the to the wedding and and he looks like he's uh, really become a man of himself so it could be as simple as that but then yeah you're right then he turns and says what he has to say about Sonny, and you know i don't know that he says too much about fredo but he almost like he's very dismissive of fredo in a way that way i don't i don't even remember that many scenes between fredo and Vito, except i the one after he gets shot and he's home and fredo goes in to see him and he sends him out to well when is there Vegas? gonna be time
0: they just kind of establish that Fredo's kind of like he's just kind of the Gavone of the family. <laughs> he's just he's just the weak one that's not as smart, and he's not. And he, they he's kind of almost like a liability, almost. But they like like. But you look at the way the movie structures. Like, when would they have time to develop Fredo's character more? Like, what more do you really need to know about him?
1: No. Yeah, and that's fine. That, that's that, that's fine I, I'm just like I'm trying to think of like the relationship between the father and his sons but yeah I mean Vito and Michael and like I didn't know that that guy wrote that last uh, scene that was really aside from playing with the kid in the in the tomato garden dying that's really Vito's like last big scene Marlon Brando's last big scene in the movie is talking to Michael about what his hopes were for him and, and that sort of thing but he also like get the feeling like that's sort of like Letting Michael know, like, it's he approves of what's going on in a sense where he feels like the right person's in the chair, and and he can you know die with peace, knowing that his family's in with the right in the right hands with the right person. Because um, you know he he you know Vito said some comments about Sonny and how he how he was. He and, said he was a bad sort of don. Stuff. He was. Uh, that's a, yeah, right, said, right. He calls him a bad Don. That's right. Yeah, he almost he literally says it right. Even though um,
0: even though he was winning the war, but the fact that they were in the war made him a bad Don. Even though you know Clemenza talked about it like it was an inevitability, like it's something that happens every five to ten years to clear the bad blood, but yeah. you know he didn't have to go after. Uh, I think it was one of Tattaglia's sons, Bruno Tattaglia, the one who helped kill Luca Brazzi. Like, we hit him at four o'clock this morning, and then he gets hit, and then that that results in, you know, a kind of half ass peace summit. But, um,
1: right, right. Yeah. Um, and he, wasn't it, was it Sonny or Vito who called the hit on Pauli? Was it Sonny? He said, I don't want to see him again. Yeah. He's
0: like, yeah, I don't. i don't remember what he called him but he said i don't i don't, I don't want to see him again
1: and then, don't you let the, like the confirmations of hits in, in mob movies to like uh you're probably not going to hear from him <laughs>
0: not going to see him yeah. no more
1: yeah but then there's like the ones like you know uh way more deliberate uh hmm. over the top like the, sending someone the raw fish in a bulletproof, in the bulletproof vest, vest yeah sleeps with the fishes <laughs> um that's 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 crazy man and then you know, like Luca Brasi's death. And, and uh, you know, we haven't really talked about, which we should, Michael, the whole scene uh, and your background today. Lewis's Italian-American restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael shooting Salazzo and and the cop. And and that's a, a very tense scene. And I think it's tense for me because it didn't play out how they told Michael to do it, which was you walk out of that bathroom and you shoot them immediately. And he didn't do it. So then the whole time you're thinking... He's listening to them talk, his eyes again, not blinking, staring, not like staring off really. And like, you know, he's thinking, when am I going to do this? When am I going to do this? And, he, and me as like the, the viewer, even though I've seen it before, there's that you, you can envision what it's like watching it for the first time and say, like, is he not going to go through with this? Is he, not, is it, he's fucking, are you fucking this up, dude? Are you fucking this up, dude? And then he, uh I forget, I don't know if there was a tipping point. Maybe you could. Give your no, there was, like, that, the sound but... of
0: the elevated train. He was just, like, kind of... Th- that was, like, the the kind of musical... Like, the kind of audio cue that he was, like, kind of... feel Like, because they... I don't... The audio... The video source I had for this didn't have subtitles. And I don't remember... I don't think there were subtitles during that conversation. I don't... There might have been, but I don't remember. Um... Mm-hmm because I know one of the things one of the trivia facts is it has the full text of the conversation what everything Al Lettieri is saying and that's the actor who played uh, Salazzo and yeah. um, interesting thing yeah. about him he uh he worked with Marlon Brando on a couple other movies in the past and part of Marlon Brando's preparation for this movie was uh he took him to like one of his family dinners so he could see how they all interact because you know Marlon Brando was an Italian so um, I thought that was like Al Lettieri had a lot, but like he had a lot to offer the movie besides just this, you know, part as kind of one He's of a, the antagonists.
1: He was an old looking forty three, by the way.
0: Yeah, I liked him in uh, the original Getaway with uh, Steve McQueen and Ally McGraw. They they remade uh, in the nineties. He was the he was the villain in that too. Um, I think he made an appearance in some spaghetti westerns too. Uh, which is yeah a,
1: he yeah he did a movie with John Wayne I think which is which is
0: uh, also funny because Sergio Leone turned down this director's gig. So did some guy named Sidney Fury, but who I know is kind of a big deal, but I just can't remember anything he did. Like I know he was like a big deal in the '60s and '70s. I think he might have done like maybe he did the Kane Mutiny. I, that's probably not right, but
1: well i i he did a, uh, he was one of my favorite sort of so to speak villains in this movie i i really liked his performance he felt believable to me he felt like he was a real you know crime guy um I, so i i really liked his part in in the movie and you know how he sort of pushed pushed the envelope with uh, the conflict and stuff like that um but i i i didn't understand the well, first of all, it's funny that Michael must shit his pants because at, at first he couldn't find he find the gun. He was mm-hmm. reaching up there and he's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> like, but then I didn't understand the explanation that Clemenza gave him about the tape that he put on there. Like, why would you not? How does that not leave fingerprints? Like, that doesn't make because sense because your
0: fingerprints me. are your the oils from your skin, and if it doesn't adhere to the tape, it won't it won't show up. But like, also is that, is
1: that really
0: maybe not with today's technology, but the fingerprinting technology of the, of the forties maybe.
1: Yeah. True. Yeah. Oh, today he can. yeah, you can't do that stuff today. There's cameras everywhere. T- that Lewis's Italian American restaurants, probably a Starbucks. Yeah. They would have his
0: DNA on file for being in the, in the military. That there'd be epithelial cells on it. Game over.
1: Exactly. <laughs> epithelial even. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it. I parts. watched
0: too much CSI. That's how I know that word.
1: Uh, yeah you're like ben affleck in the town um which is a movie i want to do one day um but uh anyway um so so that scene like there's uh, the this tenseness to it whatever and some of like some of the shooting deaths like any any death with the choking and stuff is like looked intense and like scary and stuff like that but some of the shooting deaths i was like that looks a little cheesy but i'm okay with it and i don't know if It's just how they did things back then with the, the, you know, uh, effects they were able to use. But, you know, when the cop specifically, I think he gets shot in the throat first Mm -hmm. or something like that. And then just how he acts. I'm like, is, is that how someone really acts when they get shot? Maybe what I'm used to seeing is a, a, a dramatization version. And maybe Coppola got it right. And they had wise guys on the set. Like, yeah, that's how that's how a guy I killed looked when I shot him in the neck. Like, I don't know. I haven't seen any shootings in person. But I'm going to guess a lot of
0: it's on a case-by-case basis. <laughs> I, haven't,
1: I haven't seen any shootings in person either. <laughs> I mean, like in other movies and stuff, um, how... It's just like maybe it's more over the top than it is in reality, but um, they did the best they could with like headshots and stuff in The Godfather. Like I'm not sure, like you, we watched The Terminator in 1984, and that shit looks fake. Mm. Uh, we're going back 12 years before that, so I'm not gonna sit here and say like, oh, they did a bad job because it was the early 70s, and you know, I think considering you know what was available at the time, and like you were saying about you know James Conn, they were really pushing the envelope on on the explosives on him uh i think that they did the best they could but um it's a, it's a pivotal scene in in the movie and uh, i i do like the fact that it didn't go as planned but i just don't understand why and i don't know if they explain this in the book or not or you you would remember but why didn't michael shoot them the way they told him to which is as soon as you walk out you blast them and you hit I, them both twice I because he only shot salazzo in the head once
0: yeah I don't remember. I think he just did it the way he wanted I think he just kinda of did it the way he wanted to do it. I'm not did sure. Did he have
1: trepidation? Was there any doubt, you think, or do you think he knew he was gonna do it? He just wanted to maybe hear more?
0: I think I think there could have been. I, I think yeah. I think part of the the way the scene was directed was that it was pretty clear he wasn't really all that interested in what they were saying. So No, no, I, he I don't was think looking, looking that. right through I, him. Yeah. I, I yeah. think it was more just yeah. him kinda of like getting himself ready and picking his spot and stuff. But I don't like I said before, I don't agree with some of the characterizations that he that he had never killed anybody before. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, it's possible that he went through World War II and got that highly decorated without killing anybody, but I, I don't think so. And maybe they mean civilian. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I guess it is different. You know, the fog of war. It's different than you know, killing two guys in a restaurant in the Bronx, especially when you know that 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 you're going to have to flee and all that right. stuff. It's it's like maybe it's right. a, it's a yeah, that that's an interesting distinction I didn't really think of. I mean, that could have that could definitely be the case. But st- the stupid little trivia fact, somehow Pacino managed to get himself injured during that scene, like walking out, cuz there's a scene where somebody's playing with a cane later on in the movie and that was his cane because he oh, wow. he managed to like sprain his ankle or something when he was walking out of the restaurant, which <laughs>
1: That that definitely makes you You know You're you're hit on somebody Less cool When you roll your ankle As you're walking out Of the restaurant It's like Oh
0: shit You know And and like um, We can get back to that Seed if there's any more You want to talk about I just wanted to bring up About Vito No There were One of the things That I think is so interesting About this movie Is what I call The characterization Of the criminal instinct How You know Without any real evidence it was how he figured... It was Barzini all along. It's like, how did he figure that out? Or, like, when he... When he said... He didn't know... what You you brought up the whole Tessio thing. How Tessio ended up being a traitor later on in the film. uh, Yeah. Before they... He was part of the family business that got settled. But it was... He knew the circumstances of the traitor revealing themselves. He just didn't know who it would be. And I, I always find that stuff fascinating. And this is the first movie... That i've seen that really portrays that where it doesn't really spell out how did he know barzini was the one who was pulling the strings all along it's like it doesn't really matter it's just he knew like that's why he's that's why he's the criminal mastermind and you're not right
1: and how they knew paulie was uh getting tangled in with the other families and why he was calling out sick all the time and he wasn't there to protect Vito, and then they put the hit out on him i think that um
0: that's i think that's a little simpler that's the kind of thing where if <clears> some, <throat> something goes wrong and a guy who's supposed to be there isn't there like it'll the assumption is that that guy was involved somehow
1: yeah that's fair and and then sometimes it just needs to be as simple as that you're right As um, in heat and then hit- when yes yes who wasn't there
0: yeah. treo and then they go and he Turns out he, yeah
1: he was coerced into it But he betrayed them all the same um, And that was that, that has to be one of the more famous deaths In movie history just because of the the Setting with the uh, Statue of Liberty In the background and the famous Line leave the gun take the cannoli um, <laughs> Which was improv uh, by the way Was it yeah oh, I love that yeah. I love that and but and that's proof though It's twice then Clemenza saying you know told Michael drop the gun you know I do Whatever I took care of it so you can't be traced Um, and you know I read up on that a little bit and I guess just one of those things like back then like you were saying about the lack of uh, traceability and they didn't want to be caught with the weapon as they were fleeing a scene so um, that was the thing like leave it there and um, have it handled the way you need to have it handled so it doesn't get traced back to you but uh, you know saying leave the gun take the cannoli and then also telling Michael to drop the gun and Michael quite literally just like holds his hand up and goes like this. Well that was another thing he
0: didn't do how they told him to either so, it could have just been nerves. Like, the, he didn't let it just fall by the side. He, like, very deliberately dropped
1: it. It was stuck to his hand almost. He was yeah. like, get this fucking thing off my hand. Yeah. yeah I um, didn't think about that. That could have been it. Um, yeah. He's like, this fucking thing is stuck to my hand.
0: You know, the um, thing about Vito, like, I, meant, I wanted to bring this up when you were talking about Tom Hagen, was that his character's developed, but not overly so. So, I think. I think people tend to attribute this benevolence to the Godfather character that isn't really... I don't know how you could really infer that, because you said something like... Not you, but like... the. I don't know how it can be inferred that he's this magnanimous guy, because you were like, oh, well, he brought this kid in, and well, maybe he saw something in him. Maybe he thought he could use him for something. You know, like, or... It, like I just I think it's interesting how the Don Corleone because at the beginning he's doing people all these favors. It's like there's kind of this mischaracterization where you forget that he's a crime boss and that one of his one of his revenue bases is extortion, which is just shaking down small businesses so you don't fuck them up.
1: Basically, he's very like charming as a person, and that's probably part of his tactic. Um, you want to like you want to like the guy and like not associate him with his deeds in a weird way. Yeah, and they do that. They, they do a good job of separating him from the deeds because obviously he's not doing them himself. Um, you know, he's always like pretty warmly dressed uh, when he's not um, in formal attire. And he, he seems unassuming and he seems very polite and he's soft spoken and stuff like that. But uh, you're right. You know, the track record speaks for itself and obviously how we got to where he got um, as one of the heads of the five families. But um, I had I had I, you know I I can't believe I didn't bring this up about the horse I gotta I gotta come back to it because I was thinking about this and it's definitely a bit so I'm just gonna pre admit that this is a bit on my on my part but you gotta feel bad for that horse's death because of what he was meant to do which is just fuck all the time he wasn't even he wasn't gonna be racing he was not gonna get his ass whipped he was just out to bang and they, they cut they cut him down. It, it, right before he was uh, about to get the fruits of his labor, so uh, R.I.P. Horse, you you sexy stud,
0: Khartoum. Khartoum. Yeah. that's the horse's name. the The Jack Waltz character was based off of uh, Louis Meyer, who from Medru- Metro Goldwyn meyer the yeah. MGM, <laughs> and uh, yeah, because he was really heavy <clears throat> in horse racing, and and. What got him out of it was he had this dickhead son in law who, like, colluded with thugs to fix a horse race. It used to be like his obsession and then like one of his horses was involved in a fixed race, and then he just got completely he completely lost his passion for it. I mean that's that was one of the lesser examples of what we've been kind of tap dancing around is how Puzo in the original novel had real life analogues to some of these characters. Like we already kinda talked about how Don Corleone's a composite of some of the uh, some of the heads of the five families. Yeah. Uh, Font- Johnny Fontaine, you you made you made the Sinatra connection, which was funny because the there was denial from the studio that it was him, but there there was a pretty widely publicized disagreement where Sinatra basically went to a restaurant and was like motherfucking the director about how they're portraying him. So they actually scaled back the part. It was kind of another compromise that they made to kind of keep maybe the more unsavory elements involved in the film or or in real life that that are being portrayed in the film to try to keep them happy. So it didn't interfere with the production. Uh, And uh, Mo Green was based off of Bugsy Siegel. So we've mentioned Bugsy Siegel and Frank Costello, which reminds me of this... They made this really bad movie in. I think it came out in 1989 or 1990. It was called Mobsters. That's the real name. I didn't fuck that one up. Like the like the freshman. I didn't fuck that. But Mobsters <laughs> was this movie where like Christian Slater played Lucky Luciano and Richard Grieco played Bugsy Siegel and uh, God who played Patrick Dempsey was in it. He played Meyer Lansky, who was actually the inspiration for Hyman Roth in the second one. And then, uh, Jesus Christ, Costas Mandalore played Frank Costello in that movie, and which I've never seen, but I just remember seeing that movie like posters for it and stuff all the time when I would go to the video store. And even when I was like nine, I was like, That movie, yeah, looks really bad.
1: I'm gonna look up the cover, see if I oh, yeah, oh, no, that, that's, yeah. that's
0: definitely gonna ring a bell with your video island ass. Absolutely,
1: <laughs> yeah. What, what did they watch, Heather's, and they were like, That's our guy.
0: I mean Lucky Luciano was one of the most storied gangsters of that era. Like he was the guy who created the five families. He created the commission. Like he was he was like the main force behind that and and, you know, you're gonna have him get played by Christian Slater. I I don't
1: know. Christian Slater. Imagine imagine what like developing that movie and you're like Alright, Jim Michael, what are we gonna call this thing? And they're like he's like ready for this. Mobsters. Like, oh, it's fucking brilliant. I fucking love it. Cut me another line. (laughs) (laughs) I can see the poster now. It says mobsters. We just have them standing there like idiots.
0: After this eight ball and the next eight ball, there's only one eight ball left. (laughs) (laughs) Is that from something? That's the Simpsons, but... Oh, my man. It was Barney, but it was Barney talking about cases of beer. Oh, yeah. After this case and the next case... There's only one <laughs> case left. Yeah, better go eat some <laughs> beer.
1: <laughs> oh, man. So I, I told you my favorite line in the movie um, was uh, Michael talking to Fredo. Probably my favorite line in the second movie is the, the exchange between them two. Uh, spoiler alert for if we do the Godfather Part 2 podcast, which I think after this chat we definitely should down the line. Um, unless you just fucking throw it at me for next two weeks. I don't think you're going to. But, um did you have a favorite line or moment in the movie? I
0: did. I, I'm glad I didn't get caught in my pants down this time because you did ask our our beloved listeners, and we got a, we got a few responses on social media on our Twitter account at Just the Movies. Our, uh, our listeners who are no doubt uh, dynamos in the sack. That's a, a attribute and a credit to all everybody who listens to this podcast, male, female, or otherwise. Uh, <laughs> but. um <laughs> We we had some answers there too, didn't we? Like, what, did you? I don't I don't know if you yes want, we haven't done that in a while. I mean, I know there weren't there weren't like a ton of them either, so it's not going to be like an oppressive. Um,
1: yeah. So we have a uh, Tampa movie guy. Um, what's up, man? He said, I think the scene where Michael tells Sonny he'll kill Salazzo and McCluskey is my favorite moment. Um, I like that moment too. It was kind of like I mean,
0: there's so many strong contenders in this movie. There's almost no wrong answer. So.
1: I mean, yeah. It, it was sort of like seeing Michael elevate himself and and challenge Sonny, which is very interesting. Um uh NZ uh at Nazi twenty twelve said when Vito talks to Michael in the garden. You brought that up before. Um I think that's what made
0: me think it. of it. I mean I think I because I did I did look at those too. I just didn't
1: And he posted he added one of those gifs where it's not high quality but it has it's like long. So it has like two <laughs> lines of dialogue on it. You're like, Oh shit, that's a good gif. All right. <laughs> Um, Pietro Carponi at P Carponi, uh, sounds Italiano to me. I don't <laughs> know. said the dinner scene is absolutely phenomenal. He's talking about the one where Michael kills them, uh, which is your background for our audience, as we mentioned before. Um, then we have uh, one more here: leave the gun, take the cannoli, uh, as another one. And and uh, did anyone quote tweet with one? Yeah. So Barrett Andrews at Barrett Andrews said, "A man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man." We talked about that. And I did mine, of course, which is don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again, ever. Yeah. Um, so, what, do you, what about you, Mike? What's your favorite line or moment?
0: Well, thanks everybody for that, and you know, follow us on at at Just the Movies on Twitter or Just Like the Movies Pod on Instagram as well. We'll try to do a little more there. We've been saying that for like six months, but we will. <laughs> uh, but so, thanks for when everybody contributes. When Johnny puts out a little. Uh, little thing to get you guys involved my my scene for me is um when michael confronts carlo at the end and my favorite line is you know he's just laying everything out for him about how they're settling all family business and then he goes but but my favorite line is when he says but don't tell me you're innocent because it insults my intelligence makes me very angry and it's like that's something Al Pacino just wouldn't do in the last thirty years. Talk about how angry he is, but not raise his voice
1: at all, which somehow is that's m- a great point. More chilling. Like I- <laughs> did so, I I thought he was with, with absolute certainty knew that Carla was guilty, but I read somewhere another take where someone said he used that conversation to confirm the guilt. And have Carlo admit it. So, so he knew when he killed his sister's husband, he knew for a fact that it was, so to speak, deserved. I mean, that makes um, sense. What?
0: That makes sense. It's like you could never be a 100- like hear
1: it from the horse's mouth.
0: Yeah, because you could never be a, like if you kill, a, you know, a mob boss <laughs> that was in your way, you were probably going to do that anyway. But if you're going to make your sister a widow, you're going to, and then lie straight to her face about it later. <laughs> you're going to want to be sure.
1: Yeah, and then lie to your wife about it. Yeah. That was the end that was the end of Michael and Kay. And that's another great scene too. You brought it up before about the whole closing of the door thing. Well it's iconic,
0: like so many other things are in this film.
1: Complete metaphor. He you know, it that's him shutting Kay out. And from that point forward, their their relationship was just a disaster. Um, and uh, yeah I, I, I it's it, it's it's weird because is that I'm trying to think what's the, what's the last scene of the movie is that it
0: that's it the door closes yeah. and then it's just credits
1: right so it's that's like kind of a quite the cliffhanger so to speak now you could they could have just I guess um ended it there if the movie didn't do well or whatever and it would have been like yeah and then Michael takes on and, and that's good enough I guess um but uh Big cliffhanger because you don't really don't know what's going to happen next. And uh, they were so confident in the movie, as far as I read, that uh, they were already well into uh, pre-production of uh, part two. Which is funny because De Niro uh, was turned—I don't know if he turned down or he—he was, he was going to play Sonny or Mike. He was going to play Paulie
0: Gatto. He was going to be. Polly oh, Gatto. that's what it
1: was. And 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 Pacino. Couldn't do something else. Like, there was a weird crossover between De Niro and Pacino. Yeah, I covered this the Godfather. earlier. De
0: Niro was signed on to the movie in a minor part, and then Pacino was going to do Bang the Drum slowly. He was oh, right. already committed to that, and yes. they really wanted him for this. And I don't know, this might be a difference. of You know, the studio system was a lot more stringent back then, it seemed, and in some respects. But in this respect, it seemed pretty loose. It was like, well,. You can have it, but we need a replacement. So they they convinced Robert De Niro to take that part and be in that movie. So Al Pacino could be in The Godfather, and then, you know, coming full circle, it all worked. I guess it all worked out for him because he got to be young Vito in Godfather too,
1: and he won an Oscar for it. Yeah. So, and he barely. Uh... He barely speaks any English in, in the movie too mm. um, and Which is funny because De Niro I believe is falsely attributed As an Italian when he, I think he's mostly Irish Yeah he's
0: he's about as Italian un, He's Italian enough to have the last name It's like his paternal grandfather Was like half Italian or something The rest of it was yeah. just Bronx Irish Which to most people is very easy Easily interchangeable With Italian like there's yeah. very yeah. A lot of stuff about the Italian American Experience is like <laughs> conflated With kind of New York stuff which kind of makes sense because so many of them settled there initially.
1: Yeah, um, it's just man, just the, this. I really enjoyed rewatching this with an analytical eye because I I feel like it helped me understand the nuances to the story and the overlaps of the characters' journeys and that sort of thing and how like two ships crossing in the night you know Vito is declining as Michael's ascending and Michael ascends because Vito's declined and then like Sonny's death like is the what triggers him to go home and all these chain chain uh chain of events that that happen to tell this story and it's uh you know three hours but it doesn't feel three hours just because there's just so much to it and there even though it's like hold slow and they do a lot of s- slow shots and and deliberately it moves around a lot and it it if, it never feels like a boring rehash rewatch because it just dances around so many different characters different places and that sort of thing so it always feels sort of fresh like you're watching bursts as the story goes along so it's a, it's an easy rewatch not only because it's one of the greatest movies ever just because of uh, how they put it together Because usually A three hour movie Sometimes I'm like Fuck You get like Like I was watching Like a- everyone Jerks off to Avengers Endgame I almost fell asleep In the theater Watching that movie I was like Jeez The
0: first hour Of that movie Was pretty brutal I mean And, I, oh, and I'm a brutal. huge And I'm a huge Avengers mark And like I even liked Age of Ultron I know that movie Wasn't all that well received But mm-hmm. Jet, like,
1: Well you're You're a big James Spader guy We all know that
0: Yeah I loved him In Sex, Lies, and Videotape It's a great movie Um Yeah <laughs> But yeah, yeah, that first 40, 50 minutes where everybody's just kind of feeling sorry for themselves and like I didn't watch that show, The Leftovers, but it kind of reminded me of what that show would have been like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, this movie is, um, yeah, it was definitely for for three nearly three hours. This and Heat are about the same length, and I don't I don't complain about long movies when they're good. I complain about long movies when they're trash. <laughs> yeah, and like
1: right, exactly.
0: You know, like one of the one of the, the, you know, this movie, you know, you talk about how Fredo has basically become its own insult because the movie, like, you know, the movie's so well-known and popular, you know, the movie itself is almost kind of a, a term of endearment. Like this movie, like it's like calling cloud Atlas, like the godfather of pretentious up its own ass (laughs) underachieving horse shit. Like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Up its own. Yeah. It's like, uh south park with smelling your own farts in a wine glass
0: <laughs> but yeah it's like he's calling something of the. it's like oh this is the godfather like grand theft auto 5 is like the godfather of sandbox games they did make a sandbox game out of the godfather movies funnily enough <laughs> a few generations ago i think on xbox 360 i didn't play the original one the original one actually had voice work by robert duvall james khan they had marlon brando but at that point he was so he was almost dead so like they couldn't use a lot of it. Like he was in such poor health that his audio recordings weren't very good. Um, they made a second one, which I did play, which wasn't as well received. But I thought it was I thought it was a fun game.
1: You. Kind I of, remember hearing about the Godfather game and there being a big deal about it because it was so much um, like the movie. Was it critically acclaimed? I think the, the first I think the
0: I think the first one was the second one was not. Because they had a lot of the original cast come in and they like they kind of tried to... They took a lot of important events from the first one where they didn't have a clear explanation and they kind of created this protagonist and that's who you played as. So you did a lot of these important jobs that appeared in the movie and it fit within the mythos of the movie but it kind of went alongside of it. It was, it was almost like... I don't want to call it fan fiction but it was almost like just a really in, intriguing alternate take. Like like I think one of the missions is you have to kill Barzini and his bodyguards and for people who aren't familiar with it this is a detail I remember from the books the guy who kills him is this he's actually an ex-cop named Albert Neary and he becomes a bodyguard for the Corleone family that's why like, so his badge and his gun and his uniform they're all real he just kept them from when he left the force so oh wow Yeah.
1: well I'm seeing here Francis Ford Coppola was not pleased about this game Um, He wrote... Who's asked about it in 2005. He said, I knew nothing about it. They never asked me if I thought it was a good idea, being Paramount. I went and took a look at what it was. And what they do is they use the characters everyone knows. And they hire those actors to be there. And only to introduce very minor characters. And then the next hour, they shoot and kill each other. I had absolutely nothing to do with the game. And I disapprove. I think it's a misuse of film. Wow. And then I think Mario Puzo's son... Sued somebody, and so. But if people had fun with it, fuck it. Sorry, Francis. Yeah. You
0: know. Well, you know, Francis Ford Coppola had kind of a, you know, we, we talked about it, but just to kind of reestablish, he, you know, he had a real a real mixed feeling about being involved with this movie at all because of how it portrayed Italian Americans and his. Uh, but he said he, the way he wanted to approach it is that it was more of an allegory of American capitalism, like greed kind of gone awry. I guess. Ah. Uh. But uh, that's kind of you know we talk about that sometimes the the artistic rationalization sometimes to make something more high minded than it needs to be like yeah I, I may I don't know far be it for me to speak on such things but it seems like sometimes the explanations you get from artists about why they do things it just seems too it's just too lofty it's too ideal it's too idealistic it's like maybe in their maybe they think they mean that. But maybe it, it, it's maybe it's just bad form to say it's like yeah it's good it's a lot of money. I think this is, this will be a good movie and I'll make a lot of money off of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got James Cohn and Robert Duvall to come back. I mean, those guys didn't need to do that. Yeah, and the, dude, so. I'm still kind of shocked how many people
0: involved with this movie are still alive.
1: I checked. I checked on that too. Um, even Abe v- Vigoda only died a couple of years ago, and he was in his fifties when he, he did The Godfather. So, um, but yeah, and but some of the people died young, like you brought up. Well, uh, John Cazale great, did, but like yeah, John Cazale. But uh, the guy who played, um, I he, oh uh, Al uh, Lattari died like five years after The Godfather was made. Oh man, um, it's a bummer. He was forty-seven. But like.
0: Pacino's alive. James <laughs> Khan's still alive. Robert Duvall. I think Talia Shire's still alive. D- D- Diane Keaton. I mean, yeah, that's... I think
1: Robert Duvall's like 112. <laughs> he's still around.
0: <laughs> he's like still doing movies. But, like sometimes he'll like, just still show up in the most random shit. Like I mean, this wasn't a recent movie, but I remember I was watching Shooter, and they, and it's like
1: fucking Robert Duvall showed up in this movie. Like, yeah, he was in that movie Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn. All and, they have to do Reese, is like.
0: Sign a check with his name on it And just wave it And
1: he'll just appear <laughs> He's my grandfather's age He's 91 Wow um, And I remember seeing You know Movies in the late 90s With him at like You know uh, Gone in 60 seconds You know And I'm like Oh he thinks, This guy's pretty old and That was Fucking 25 years ago
0: <laughs> Yeah I, One of the things I, I read too Was that and I did, I know we didn't Really cover this Because this This thing was such a Weird with the casting, it was like such a musical chairs thing. Like James Kahn was going to play Michael at one point. Then he was going to play Tom Hagen. Then he ended up playing Sonny. But at one point they were considering Burt Reynolds to play Michael. I mean, can you,
1: oh
0: And Marlon Brando hated the idea so much that Burt Reynolds just dropped out of the project. Like, I don't know if they ought, but he just kind of took himself out of the running, but then he tried to like Burt Reynolds it up and be like, he, was, he he said something about how it was like like a badge of honor to offend Marlon Brando that way, and I'm just trying to think of like some of those iconic Michael lines like Burt Reynolds saying them. It's like like you're chewing gums like today uh settle all family business. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you so you're doing Norm Macdonald doing Burt Reynolds pretty much. Oh, dude, Torleo. Norm
0: Macdonald does this. We got to put that on Twitter. Norm Macdonald, God rest him. Did this hilarious bit Where he would Do the Jack Waltz scene Like he would play Jack Waltz Going on that tangent about She was the best piece of ass I've ever had And I've had him all over the world But he does it as Super Dave Osborne And his impression is perfect And he does it He does it on a radio show With this DJ Who instead of doing Robert Duvall Does Liam Neeson As Tom Hay. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have to put that on Twitter for everybody because that. Is, I have never seen it, so I gotta that watch a, that That is a that is a gem. Yeah.
1: Oh man. Writing that's, it that's down great. now. Norm is great. So yeah, if you find it. Uh, oh, yeah, it's it's know. it's not hard to find. Oh okay. I'll I'll SN- find it. It, it wasn't it wasn't affiliated with SNL or anything, right? No, 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 no. Show? It was like in the
0: later part of his career. I'll I'll find it.
1: Um. Man, so I'm just trying to think if there's other elements or parts of the movie because we're almost at two and a half hours. But yeah, any, uh,
0: well, I I knew this would be kind of a longer one, but like I feel like if we did like 90 minutes, it just wouldn't it wouldn't serve this movie. at uh, all. Oh
1: no, yeah, and I yeah I looked there were some podcasts on the Godfather that were in that time range, but I knew based on the discussions we've had and some of our longer episodes about other movies, I knew that this one would probably be long because we have a lot to it was a lot to cover. I do think we covered. Um, most most of it and I, 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 I don't know that there are things that I'm missing. Um, but were there any big moments in the movie that you feel like we, we either skimmed over too much or, or we didn't cover just because I don't want us to kick ourselves obviously later. but
0: um, I mean, yeah, well, I, you don't want to do that like you go scene by scene. Um, no, but, no, we don't do like, that One of the things I thought was that I read And then it's one of those things that snapped in place I didn't really notice it, but was how A, a, a kind of contentious point During the movie's production Was the fact that it was shot in such darkness And part of that was out of necessity Because of the way Marlon Brando Looked, they had to shoot They had to like do an overhead lighting Because of the way he was made up But it also... I don't know if this, if this was something that they intended from the start or kind of an after the fact rationalization, but Francis Ford Coble said that he liked the dark lighting because it kind of illustrated the shadiness of the family's dealings. And it kind of like the kind of the mystery and the, I guess, and the darkness involved with the, coral, the, the olive oil business. I, lo- I love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, y- you know what's funny too? I was just looking it up. I. If you had to guess how tall Marlon Brando was, how tall do you think he is? 5'6". Oh, see, I thought he was taller. He's five nine, which everyone in Hollywood's five nine if they're a short person. So he's probably like five eight. No, man, we, we've
0: talked about this. Like, they, there's not a lot of tall people because in Hollywood, like, like it's rare. Like, Christian Bale's like six feet tall, and he's a great actor. But like, it's not the. But it's like I think it has something to do with like I think tall people photograph weird. Like I would hate to see mm. what I look like on a big screen, if I was filmed, mm. it'd be it'd be it'd be like it's like who is this skeleton person? <laughs> <laughs> you thought you thought you Jim so, Carrey you was You such a lurpy. glorious picture of yourself. What? Yeah,
1: he's six two or something like that. Yeah, Vince Vaughn six five. There's there's some, but you're right. Um, the tallest of this cast is John Cazale, who's five eleven. The rest of them either five nine or shorter.
0: Yeah, they always talked about how they wanted everybody to wear lifts and like the, the, the one of the guys they were thinking about giving the sunny part to was 6 foot 4 his name was uh, Carmine Caridi I think and part What a of, name and, holy shit yeah good irish name and uh they t- <laughs> yeah he kind of lost contention because he was so much taller than all the other actors like I, that was another thing I didn't really mention but it's not you know it's not a huge th- it's not a huge digression but Robert, the actors we got in the movie were largely the one that ones that Coppola wanted. Robert Evans did like he spent hundreds of the or well not him personally but the studio spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on screen tests at his behest because he just thought it's like oh these he was just wasn't impressed with the actors he was like well we could do better than this and they like maybe we get some bigger names for the Michael part or whatever like that and then it ended up being that they just came back to the same. He just came back to the same actors that that Coppola wanted, and I think I think I think this might have been one of the like fifteen occasions where Brando threatened to quit over something else.
1: <laughs> so, I, all right, I didn't want to like talk anything bad about Marlon Brando, but obviously on the Batman Begins uh, pod, I believe I talked about how like Christopher Reeve didn't really yeah. care much for him and stuff like that. It seems like he was highly respected, highly sought out, but not very well liked.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I think in this movie, I I don't think the cast had anything bad to say about him. I think he was still, I mean, because this was a big comeback for him. Like his his career was flagging pretty bad throughout the '60s, and then he did this movie, and it was it was huge for him. And then he ended up doing uh, um, Last Tango in Paris, and then Superman, and then Apocalypse Now, and it was kind of like a yeah. kind of like a second act for him.
1: So and then it then it went downhill again, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, I and I know he like he was a prankster too because uh, there's that story I guess that went around where uh, the scene where he was uh, on the stretcher so to speak being carried into the house he didn't tell anybody but he put weights on it so that the two guys who were carrying it struggled more. <laughs> if that's true, that's fucking hilarious, dude. Because no, I don't care who you are or what your constitution is as a person, no man will ever admit. That he can't lift something, and they will break their back as they're lifting something and not show pain because there's something inherent in us saying like we can lift this, and that's those guys must have been like, "What the fuck, man!" <laughs> 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 I thought that was so funny yeah. reading that. I hope it's true, but you never know. But uh, yeah, it was um, interesting.
0: I was reading too so, that uh, Mario Puzo got a lot of. He obviously did a ton of research because the you know he the five families are based on the real five families, but they're not the same names. Like it's not the what is it the Bonanos, the Columbos, the Gambinos, the Lucchese, and I, I was I never remember the fifth one. Um, but uh, you know the, he based it off of that, and then supposedly he got a lot of stories from Crazy Joe Gallo and the the Gallo brothers who were active. They and Again, that's another Irishman tie, because Crazy Joe Gallo was featured in that movie. They had him played by Sebastian Maniscalco, who, he didn't do a bad job, but, like, when I saw his face, like, I just kept him expecting to be like, you know how stupid you gotta be? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just kept expecting him to say some shit like he does in his stand-up routine, but he just, like, acted, like, really he did act really crazy. I mean, he was a little more credible than when Rob De Niro was like trying to put a beat down on somebody.
1: That's for sure. Aren't you embarrassed? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking guy, he's funny. I saw we saw him live a couple times, but and once before he really blew up. Yeah, I and, heard and, uh, tickets to go
0: see him. Are like, all right, my bro, my uh, the last time I saw my brother down in Florida, he and his wife were comp- they, they went, to, they they were gonna go see him again, but they said tickets were like three hundred fifty bucks
1: yeah fuck that Like, and honestly if that's what he's charging he, what's Seinfeld charging for a stand first of all Jerry Seinfeld is not funny um, <laughs> my, one of my favorite shows of all time but his stand up is horrible I, I, anyone who thinks Jerry Seinfeld's stand up is good I, I feel like they're lying just to say he's a legend or whatever but and Larry David was carried the weight on Seinfeld but yeah I, I think kind
0: of the, the success of Curb Your Enthusiasm and has proven
1: that and And the humor in it is very Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we're getting off the path here a bit. Yeah. um, Which is fine. But I, I, Mike, I really don't know that I have much more to give here on The Godfather without rehashing things I already said. Um, Went over our favorite parts. We read the listeners' favorite parts. Uh, We got yours. We really covered a lot of the major scenes, the themes, the characters, uh, things that may have been urban legends that may not have (laughs) been, the oranges thing. Like we went, we ran the gamut here. Um, So do you have anything else? that uh, you wanted to bring up no
0: man I mean I think we you know we talked about the the enduring <laughs> impact of the movie like how it I, I guess one of the things I didn't explicitly say but you know the the fact that mob movies and mob TV shows are so common now I think is part of the is largely attributable to the success of the Godfather because before that there were a lot of like mob movies were really on the decline in the 60s. And then the Godfather kind of um, provides this res- yeah, that's cool. resurgence for it and you know, the you know, like I said, it's become shorthand for like a kind of the quintessential genre piece or quintessential video games like the Godfather of Blank, the Godfather Blank. But I mean, but at the end of the but at the end, the bottom line, I mean, it's just a great movie and it's but it's you know, adapted from a great book and that's where it all started. I mean, like you know they were planning a sequel for it, probably because of the strength, the strength of the book. I mean, it would have had to really flop for them not to consider it. But no, I mean, yeah. I don't. Uh, I I think we, I'm sure some of our uh, listeners who love the, I shouldn't say it like that, because it makes it sound like bad. But I, I, we like getting feedback. But sometimes you know we do miss things, or sometimes I say dumb things that don't really make oh
1: don't fit. Me, you and me both, buddy.
0: <laughs> but. No, I mean, I it's well. I don't want to keep like talking around in circles and like running this thing into the ground, but uh, you know, great pick. I'm. I hope we. Uh, I I just hope that we did the movie justice because I'm tens of thousands of people have probably recorded some kind of conversation about the Godfather, and I just hope we did a decent enough job kind of honoring the movie because it's so, so great and so like. I it, it would be like it's one of those movies where. I don't know what I would say to somebody If they told me they didn't like it And they were being serious
1: Like, So it's funny because I went to Rotten Tomatoes And it's like a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes That means 3% of critics Don't like The Godfather
0: Yeah there was a. I I read there was one negative review Where people said that Pacino's part was too big for him And he couldn't handle it it's Get like the
1: fuck out of here What kind of Jesus.
0: arm and white bullshit is that
1: That person probably likes the piano
0: <laughs> person probably loves the the piano,
1: Also so probably Mike, I know Oh go ahead. No, uh, I was
0: just gonna say probably probably wishes the power of the dog was nominated for thirteen Oscars instead of nine.
1: <laughs> um I know you're big on box office inflation. I plugged in the mean of that range of two fifty to two ninety, so I put in two seventy five. uh-huh And it checks out to one point eight billion dollars <sighs> in two thousand twenty two dollars. That's fucking Avengers money, and they made it for you know seven to eight million which is probably like 40 50 million you know mm-hmm. so uh what a success critically uh financially and just legacy wise uh one of the greatest movies of all time so i like like you said mike you said it best i hope uh i hope we did it justice hope you guys enjoyed it um it may be, not have been the funniest episode just like <laughs> the movies but we definitely peppered in our humor in here for you but Rhett. hopefully you enjoyed the conversation and learned some stuff because i i sure as hell did in the in our conversation and in Researching the movie yeah. uh, and the George Lucas thing like blew my mind. Me but, too, uh, man. He has an and, uh, role. What
0: one uh, Easter egg that's kind of funny? Um, apparently, my my parents were such big fans of this movie that that was what kind of inspired my name. What? Yeah, you say that for the end? Well, I meant I meant to get to it a bunch of different times, like when we were talking about the the arc of the of the Michael character. But I don't know why they didn't name my older brother Michael then but um
1: well he would have to be fredo oof
0: well yeah because they they there's this weird thing where like they say santino's the oldest one but then in godfather 2 it's fredo so they don't really in the book it's santino for sure but
1: um, yeah yeah which so is I, a cooler I, name than sunny but i don't, I don't
0: know people do might find that interesting so apparently my parents like like the movie so much that that's really cool man well yeah,
1: i i got i got my name because uh <laughs> It was my dad's name. It's a family so name. You yeah. Um, all right. So now the moment has arrived where you are going to let us know what we're going to be doing next time.
0: All right. So there's not really going to be any way to adequately follow The Godfather. We just have to kind of move on.
1: So um,
0: I was thinking there's a movie I want to do because it it's kind of... I don't know. It's it's oddly it oddly fits with the time, even though it was made 30 years ago, and um, we haven't done a Stallone movie yet. So, I and and we've had a. I don't want to over. I don't want to blow it out of proportion. We have had one or two viewers request it. So I think it's time we do uh. a Stallone movie. We pop the cap and then we we do Demolition Man.
1: Alright, man. Uh, I yeah. Once you said 30 years ago, I am of thinking early 90s. 93, then, I think it came out. Yeah, and then you had mentioned a couple of the other hints. Oh, good pick, man. Yeah, I haven't seen, man, Demolition Man. I think I've only seen that movie once. Yeah, we
0: got into uh, it a little bit because you said Cliffhanger was better than Demolition Man, and I said you were insane for having that opinion. So I'll be really interested to see how this rewatch goes for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, it might yeah, be a very been...
0: different brand of discussion than we had here. Where, but uh, I think it'll be—I think it'll be interesting nonetheless. I—I I know I gotta—I yeah. gotta get a fucking thesaurus and find a new word for interesting because I know that's one of my verbal crutches. I say that shit way <laughs> too much. But um, <laughs> I think it should be a spirited discussion that provides yeah. uh, kind of a unique perspective about the, the film.
1: It's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I look forward to watching that and doing that. But um, great chat, as always, my friend. And uh, you too, uh, man. Yeah. So, so thanks to everybody. You know, we did our plugs at the top, so we can skirt out of here now. So, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Just Like the Movies. So, until next time, be kind, rewind, relax. (laughs) Okay, okay.